0: Previously on Grog Talk.
1: You're
2: my father. You're my, uh, or mother. You're (laughs) my elven mother. No. Just roll with it, James. You're the humanity.
1: You are. (laughs) Roll with it. Okay. So. Son, you disappointed me. (laughs) Why can't you be more like your brother (laughs) Elrod? That's right.
2: (laughs) So I'm, I I, I hate life. I want to kill. And and, and my goal, of course, (laughs) is to become a. I got to, I I?
1: I got to. I, I, I hate life i want to kill i gotta Ma- snip at that for Ma- a sound bite <laughs> mommy
2: can i be the guild master of assassins
1: this is something called the warp james w- the work
2: work <laughs> w-u-r-p w- the warp. w-k-r-p no not w-k-r-p w-u-r-p ah. the warp has a suction cup base it was the 70s james it was a different dawn. different time it
1: is a Ooh, seventeen.
2: Oh, or at least yes, see. you're right. It is a seventeen. This should be something very interesting. Syphil. <laughs> that sounds like a disease.
1: Cifle? Is this a is, I'm sorry. Is this
2: a disease chart?
1: <laughs> see, You'll I'm, need a tincture to, do, to <laughs> cure that siffle. What is I it? I did
2: a tincture and I got a siffle. So it is our pleasure to have on the show the great Janelle J. Quays.
1: Hi. Don't necessarily love a lot of the changes that Peter Jackson made. Um, I'm
0: very disappointed that they removed the whole Tom Bomba. Oh, uh, uh, thank you.
1: No, oh, thank no, you. No, thank
2: no. you. That was going to be my next question. Thank uh, you. Um.
1: If I want to listen, read long prose for for pages at a time and nothing happens, <laughs> yes, it's a one. Those are wonderful books. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James. And I'm Dan. Where are we from today, Dan?
2: James, you're going to be very excited to learn that we are, today we're at a theater. We're not, we've moved up in the world. Okay. From inns and taverns. We are at the Piper Theater in Piper's Corner in your beloved old stomping grounds, Pelinor.
1: Oh, Pellinor. Pelinor, Pelinor yes. and
2: the City League. Jay's Piper's Theater is nowhere near the biggest or most imposing in the City League, but the quality of the dramatic productions put on under the auspices of, why do they always do this, Mustine Hemreddy. Everyone does names that you can't pronounce in D&D. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Okay, no one cares.
1: Uh, what, what was the guy's name?
2: Really? Okay, okay. <laughs> I see how this show's going. Aug Augustine. Not Augustine. It's not Augustine. It's I don't think so, because it's A-U-G-K-U-S. Aug- Augustine. Augustine. Yep. Augustine. Augustine, yeah. Augustine. Hem- Hemmer- hammer Hammerduis. Hammer Is It's not French. She's hammer Is it the highest? Oh. Low and high comedies and tragedies concerts, farces, farces. That's farses. why we were invited. Yes. And sheer extravagances, such as mask, what's a mask? M-A-S-Q-U-E?
1: Like the, I think it's a mask. Mask, isn't
2: it? Well, you put Markanian, on a mask. Marcadian
1: mask. Or maybe it's a show. I don't
2: know. Instagram such as mask. Oh, is it was like a masquerade. Yes, but is like it. it? It's not a party. Obviously, it's, it's like a mask show like that, right? But it's a show. Yes, it's a show. It's a mask. Yeah, but it's yeah, but it's clearly it's clearly a show
1: of some kind, right? you think it's not just people. Okay, it's like Eyes Wide Shut or whatever that Kubrick weird movie with. Um, that was What was that with um, the the dog? Stanley
2: Kubrick had the one with the dog, didn't he? Yeah,
1: or, or was that the one with the uh, <laughs> Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman where they're all wearing masks? Oh, um, circus-o something? Yeah. Cirque du Soleil? Sa, Cirque S- circus Soleil. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, so hold on. It's a high-end party.
2: Yeah, high-end party, yeah. Okay. High-end party. Obviously, we have not been invited to... No. We should have a mask at GrogCon. That's right, at the Fleshpole Festival at ma- uh, Mass. <laughs> we do Fleshpole Festivals. <laughs> We're not really the mass crowd. Yeah. We're the flesh- <laughs> We're the other part of town. We're the east end, not That's the west right. end. That's uh, right. So, okay. So, um, such as mass have all been presented at one time or another, and Augustine, he's a writer, James, Hemeradus' own Night of the Jewels, a comedy of errors, oh. set in a thieves' guild, is still occasionally mentioned as one of the funniest plays in years... The theater is small and intimate, with seating only for the selected few in the upper gallery and at the back. At the moment, performances are taking place to audiences of just a few dozen. The brave and the foolhardy and the ghoulish who hope to see something more true to life and in the theater. There's been a series of grizzly murders in ah. the area, James.
1: Well, give yourselves a hand out there for coming and enjoying this grizzly event that we're here. So... They're gonna watch us die live on. Thing, thing. We may not make it out alive. Yes,
2: oh. killed on the air. <laughs> James and Dan murdered at Piper's theater. It Are we can,
1: getting killed on the air?
2: Okay, it'll be a, it'll be a murder mystery then.
1: The show will continue. Could like, be, a, to, could to be who, murder suicide at this who, point, who, <laughs> double suicide.
2: Yes, yes. Well, you know the dice don't lie. Yes, yes. And I think murdered. You could use murdered, not in a literal sense. Well, mm-hmm. you could in a literal sense.
1: Right. But it's it also it's still
2: early. This shows, so basically what this means is it shows me terrible.
1: Or we murdered, we killed. Oh, either we killed or we're dying up here. Right, exactly. It could go either way. Okay. Well, very good. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. So, um, again, looking forward to seeing what, uh, what the great show here is at the Piper Theater. We have a bunch of announcements. Um, first of all, I know you Grog can't gone. hear it. The GrogCon is coming. Is I just coming. did my uh-huh. cousin's scary voice that you get terrified <laughs> That's why, I, that's why I didn't want to use the headphones. That's right. It's too frightening. Um, it's coming. I'm wearing the official shirt.
2: I didn't get the memo. No,
1: it's okay. I'm going to wear the official shirt every week. So,
2: Did I ever tell you about the story where we were supposed to dress up in costumes in elementary for Halloween, and I dressed up a day early, and I got on the bus, and I realized quite quickly I dressed up a day early. I was in a Superman costume
1: does your, alone. Did your parents, no one in your immediate family, were you completely like a latchkey kid, ki, latch kid that... Wasn't even you could have been disappeared for days and no one would have noticed. Yes. Okay. Yes,
2: and as you can see, it went that parenting strategy was a disaster.
1: And have you been to therapy about it?
2: Right. <laughs> no, but my wife routinely tells me I should.
1: Because <laughs> wow, that's horrible, right? That's not even close. I mean, you yeah. know, well, at least it was a day off. I guess it was one day. It was one day early. Wow. That's okay. Horrible. Can we
2: just move on, please? No, I'm sorry. I'm very was, upset.
1: Well, it was interesting. Our, before we came on, I was telling a story too. So there must. We should have intimate portraits. Oh, we could have like a spinoff. Yeah. Int- like, <laughs> will we just yeah like
2: talk to me, James? <laughs> that's right. Why are you You, look, you seem down today, James. Intimate Anywhere portraits think, what's
1: wrong? of Grogdaw. That's right. Tell me. <laughs> tell me why, why. How did you get to this place? What was your journey? <laughs> <laughs> Journey to the Depri- Journey to the Dark Side.
2: <laughs> journey to Hell. It's
1: a very dark, a very dark grog talk. Journey to, journey to Hell. How I murdered people. But um, the sh- obviously, GrogCon October 15th through the 17th. Uh, if you want a shirt, we have two types of shirts. We have the standard shirt, which just just says GrogCon. If you are a member of the Grog Empire, you can get a member of the Grog Empire shirt. You must put your order in by August 1st so that we can have them available to you when you show up at the show in October. Uh, there will be limited, i.e., very little extra shirts. So it's this you can't be like Dan and show up a day early and think you're going to get a shirt. You're not going to get a shirt if you right gonna or a
2: day late or it day late would but maybe right. make more sense. True. Okay.
1: Um, so please <laughs> do not do that. If you want a shirt, put an order in. The shirts are twenty dollars, uh, and then when you come to the show, you register, you get your badge, you come over to the Grog Talk. Uh, table which we will have a table banner i bought ordered the table oh, banner nice so you come to our table banner and i will hand you the shirt if you hand me money wow what a deal you, capitalism at its best Yes. Yeah. uh but we're not making money we're just trying to get our recover the funds it cost us to make the shirt so uh please do that uh we will be uh if you have signed up Got your badge already, you can start putting in your events, but uh, we're, Dan and I will be putting our events in, we, and you'll be able to su- get tickets. So the way it works with tabletop events, you buy badges so you can get into the event. That's what costs money. And then once the uh, people put events inside the, the uh, convention, so for instance, I'll be running Paranoia probably Friday afternoon. I will have to go into tabletop events, put it in, and then you, the person who wants to play, can put tickets. You buy tickets. And tickets for these will be all free. It's included mm-hmm. with the package. So that you'll be able to do that on October, excuse me, August 1st. Starting October, August 1st. And then um we haven't got any artwork for the Planetar mascot. I'm just letting you know that.
2: What a shock. i have <laughs> forgotten what the, the mascot was. I know.
1: Do I, we have a name for the planetar? No. <laughs> This is this is why I keep this every week, so you can see what's going on.
2: You might as well also put up there on the list the book reunification project.
1: Yes, well, that is going well, actually. Wait, get out! He, what? I mean, there's we he, if you if you we, went to, if you went to disc, we haven't reunified one yet. Well, but, how is that going well? Well, we have we have people in England working really hard at trying to find books right. for each other. It's okay. it's international. This is. There has been an obviously an international conspiracy to separate owners from their books, mm-hmm. and now we're putting it back together. Like, uh, okay, what is that uh, national exploit book group? Whatever. It is. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, I need an hour.
1: Like the there's a. I'm I'm having a terrible day today. What's the there's a in the United States there's a national alliance to save exploited children or something like oh. that. Oh. Well, this is the international alliance to. Re- Restore Exploited book, books? Book relations.
2: So yeah. you're saying that, like, I'm exploiting my fiend folio, like I'm like a kidnapper or something? Well, like yeah, I mean... Like, holding a
1: kid in a dungeon? Blaine Maguire. We've talked about Blaine.
2: And you, and the thing is, it actually tells you how to return this. It <laughs> says return to room five. Room five. I love this. This is... Okay, yeah, so those of you who don't remember that, Blaine Maguire. We have a, we have a phone number. Why are we calling this? I think we tried... Is 213 New Jersey? Where's 213? I have no idea.
1: Blaine McGuire. I mean, now they're going to tell me I have to put it up on Discord, which I really do. We have an address, 1892. I think we try to look up and there's like 15 of them. I think it's in California. To be Northridge. Concerned. Yes. All His right. mom is probably still 1-8-9-2-5. living there. One eight nine two five.
2: Renata Court, you think? Circle. Circle. Okay. He gives you everything. Blaine was on top of it. Deities and demigods. This kid must be rich. Northridge,
1: kind of, Cal- Northridge, California.
2: Wait. James, that looks like a mansion. Oh, they're,
1: they're
2: is that? No wonder we had deities and demigods. The kid was rich. Oh, it's not that. <laughs> it looked like it, it looked like it Wow. Was, it looked like Versailles, that little <laughs>
1: picture, because it seemed to be far back. Well, it's like, in California. It's probably worth more than our houses combined.
2: Well, that's true. I don't know what area, but yeah, some of those areas. What is the area code? He did not do that.
1: No, what is it? Two and three.
2: Oh, area well, code. I'm sorry. i some reason, I thought zip code. You're gonna put in a phone number.
1: I'm gonna put in the. E- it's so it must LA. be L.A. So this must be in the L.A. area. Okay. So now you want me to get rid of my deities and demigods that I got. Okay.
2: So That's all right, on. guys, we need to put the. Uh, what are the emperors? We give orders. You need to find Blaine McGuire, who formerly lived in Northridge, California. Because we need
1: to return this to Room 5. Whichever Room 5 it is. Well,
2: all we need to do is find the local
1: school. And drop it off there.
2: At Room 5.
1: Right. So if you want me to drop it off on Room 5, I'll need either postage or a ticket to Los Angeles. And I assume it's Northridge Elementary. We'll have to do the show from there. Ooh, I like that idea. <laughs> We're going to L.A., James. That's We're perfect. going to be like Ernie Gygax. <laughs> <laughs> we the cartoon Where, where is the blow. Say. <laughs> "No, hey now." I don't know what's nothing. Okay. All right. I think he said it. He's the one who told us he had it was a party thing. We don't not making up things. Lawyers. Lawyers say you can't say that. <laughs> I can't say what he said? Nope. That he had a great time as a 20-year-old? He can say it. Oh, I see. I see how that is. You works. can. He'll say I was just what kidding. The- You've defamed me. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't. Wait a minute. He didn't. He can't say that. So if I say something that I associate with myself, now we are. I don't know. Do people want us to move on? Yes. Yes, with an exclamation point. You're so lucky. Those (laughs) dice are so good. All right, moving on. The Grognards Guild Online. Speaking of that, if you want to play online, Discord, that other thing, besides the channel with the book reunification, there is people playing by post, people playing online. All thanks to what's happening on Discord. So go out to Discord, you can play online, or you can go to Meetup, which I, I will say, your uh, patrons pay for a lot of things. What they don't pay for, Dan runs, he pays for the Meetup himself. That's true. Out of his own pocket, thanks. and has for years. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> Every month he's paying yes. for something that he barely uses, which is very nice. Yes, yes. So uh, go out there, and if you want to start a game, let us know, info or go out to the Discord we can give you access to the meetup, so because we want people to play Winnie. Uh Again, patrons, thank you. Did you. No, my no, my deities and demigods. It's not it's not the super cool one. It's the cheap one.
2: Not the 144 page. or whatever? Right, yeah. it's the cheap one. I, I'm I'm okay. I can I can mm-hmm. look for the. Uh, that would be well, that. Blaine. So Blaine wasn't that rich. Oh, no. so Blaine, we know when Blaine bought that, and we can like identify that. Yeah, we because can defer it's, it's, right. Because it doesn't have the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a... What printing? Does it doesn't say printing. It just says Printing USA. Save it, save
2: it for Alan. He can answer all... He's, we're going to go through our books, James, and he's going to tell us how little value they all are. Right. How, because they're like, oh, yeah, that's like 93rd edition. Yeah, it's not so. He'll be like, turn to page 47. Does it have a this... So get ready. Have your books appraised.
1: Ooh! This is going to be like sideshow, um, um, side show, not antique, antique Road Road show. show. That's right. He's
2: going to praise our books for us. I love it.
1: That sounds good. Well, again, thank you to your patrons for making this happen. We don't have a heraldry this time. Next time we'll do a giveaway. We'll do. I guess we'll do the sack shaking at live at arts because next time we're doing our uh, live event from Sci-Fi City. From from outside Sci-Fi City. Possibly outside. In <laughs> the side parking city. lot. It may they're, be in the parking not lot. not open yet. It may be in the parking lot. At, At least, least it won't be hot. You think so? <laughs> 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 We're dying out here in the sweat box. No as Orlando.
2: Then we go going to run a game. We'll have to take a shower
1: in between. <laughs> People are like, oh, it's so hot in Seattle. Yeah, I understand, 103. Yeah, If I didn't have air conditioning. But 103 versus 95 here in the humidity, yeah. mm-hmm. I'll take 103. But you guys have, don't have air conditioning in the Northwest, so that's got to be horrible. Um, Whose fault is that? Yeah, they didn't get our air conditioning. It just reminds me—I lived in New York. We had to live. In, uh, you've lived here your whole life, right? Pretty much. Well, I lived in New York for three years. Oh, okay. So, well, no one had air conditioning. They usually have the little wall, wall unit, and it was in your bedroom. And everyone had to hang out in the bedroom. It was. And I
2: remember when I was in New York, they would switch it over. You know, you would have, they'd actually have to switch it. It was either one or the other. It was either heat or air conditioning. And so, okay.
1: We never used the heat part. I guess they had that. Does See if our parents want
2: us to move on. Oh, no, they like oh, this they conversation. Like this <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, this is great. Right. So let's Can talk get- about AC. They like AC talk. <laughs> armor class. They thought we were talking about armor class.
1: Ooh. Ooh. That's good. Ooh, right. hold on. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> AC talk. <cup>. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's about air conditioning. That's right. We've ended the show, Grog. We've done <laughs> <the> AC talk. <laughs> <laughs> More viewers. Uh, we're talking about armor class all the time. Anyway, so speaking of that, we will be uh, July 24th at Sci-Fi City to run our summer tournament. And our, our summer tournament... Uh, who just harassed me? Oh, okay. Very nice. So uh, our summer tournament is, was written by none other than Dan. And uh, we will be doing it live. So if you are in the Orlando area, near the Orlando area, and want to spend your Saturday afternoon playing a a fun game, Mm -hmm. come out to Sci-Fi City. It's on the meetup. Please register. We need to know how many people are coming. Yeah. So it is very important. uh, If you want to play, love to have you. There's no cost. Just come out for the afternoon. We'll do the show. It's going to be a little bit later, two weeks from now. It's not going to be at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock. It's going to be probably closer to noon Mm -hmm. because unfortunately sci-fi city doesn't open until noon mm-hmm. so it'll probably be like i don't know what, what did do we come up with eventually do we say twelve thirty to 1 30 we're gonna do the show and we have not come up with we're having that conversation now i think we're doing twelve thirty 30 to 1 then we're gonna have some lunch and then we're gonna play at two o'clock or something two to like. six two to six sounds good that's what we're doing so uh if you want to be there for the show Come at noon. You can help us set up. You can see the gypsy band, of gypsies that we are, as we try to get this going.
2: Yes, come help us set up.
1: Right, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, you're selling that. Yeah, as you and, and, and so what's even more fun is if we are, I do have to sit outside and do the show. People standing in the parking lot looking at us doing yes. the show because we'll be under the awning. They'll be in the open parking. Lot. Right, sweating. <laughs> right. And I believe under local rules now
2: you can't give out water. Right? Well, well, is that voting, is vo- that voting or is that voting and
1: podcast? Or podcasts, yes. In our case, they would probably say if you're if you're that committed, you don't deserve water. But I think they can bring their own water. You just can't hand out water. Okay. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll confirm our local legislation to ensure. And
2: there be and there'll be there'll be a, a poll tax, and you'll have to.
1: Well, that goes without saying. There is a te- take a test. Out. <laughs> it's the <crowd> talk test. <laughs> Oh, the, oh, that is all the humanity. Oh, that's oh, thank you. Uh, so th- that's two weeks from today. Next week we are doing our patron exclusive, which you'll be running as well. It's just a busy two weeks for you, man. It is, and uh, we'll, we'll be doing that. And, and that is what we'll be showing during our August uh, so- right. sojourns. We have some sojourns set up. So anyway, with that said, anything we need to talk about besides the tournaments? No, nope. nope. excellent. Let's go to 1981.
2: All right, the best stuff. Okay, well, I'll try to do this fast because there was a lot happening, James. You okay, ready for this? I think it's hilarious. Uh, June 27th, 1981. June 27th, 1981. We're in July, but okay. I know, but we're doing the, we're catching up because oh, it's been two right. weeks, you know, since since we last met, James. Ah, that's right. The UK's minister, of course, it's the UK. Yeah. The UK's Ministry of Defense orders all copies of a Forestry Commission map to be destroyed after it is found to accidentally <laughs> accidentally have included the location of a secret NATO base <laughs> near Gwent. that, that well obviously I thought that was funnier than it it. Is funny that's it, funny you just stopped no period. You, it was like your own private joke i know and i'm you, not very good at this
1: you kept going and I'm like and I then just you just laugh. i like you like <laughs> and then i know
2: it. i'm terrible right i, I laughed at my own jokes here no so yeah, the forestry commission map accidentally included the secret location of a NATO base.
1: I like the Ministry of Defense because that just reminds me of like there's like an Ozzy song where he keeps going through all the uh, rock and roll rebel. I'm a rock and roll rebel. That's right. He's yeah, that's a... The Ministry of Truth, the Ministry of Defense, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. That's what it, That's what I thought you were going with.
2: No, I was going
1: with the NATO map. So that's basically a precursor to what happened with Google Maps. You know, Street View where they took pictures of people naked and oh. dead people. Yeah, there's wow. been all kinds of... You've not heard that word? No. Google, well, obviously they got these little Google trucks that go around taking pictures. Well, they've found naked people, dead people, bad, th- other terrible things.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: Did yeah. I catch like, a murderer? Okay. I, I'm sure they've seen some th- various things like that.
2: Okay. Uh, in, now we're into July. Okay. 40 years ago, July 3rd, this woman, James, this woman wins Wimbledon. Uh, Martina Navratilova. That would be a good guess. Ju- um, Billie Jean King. Uh, she's getting a little older, there. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, Chris Everett. You had a big. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to say you had a big crush on her, James. Chris Everett Lloyd, an American. It. American wins. Ready for this? Golf clap for America. America yeah, yeah for America. July Fourth. July Fourth, James. In thing. England. That's it. A- American in England. You know who wins? Uh, John Mackerel. That must have pissed them off. You can't. I don't have. You can't be serious. I'm sorry to get that. No, out. but you don't think that, some, that probably made them mad. Right. How did, I wonder how they thought of, what they thought of John. Okay. Um, the fifth. Sorry, there's so much here.
1: Rajan. That, was that the war of uh, British aggression? That's the independent revolution? Pretty war. much.
2: Yeah. We, we just wanted to be left alone, and they came over right. and started. They ran up Bunker Hill. Right. Rajan Mahadevan of India sets a world record by reciting Pi to 31,811 places from memory. Wow. How do you do that? Apparently, with practice, like, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Do did, did you think he got to 31,812 and missed it, or he's just like, look, I'm done? Yeah. Was I, he like, four? Oh, wait, three! Uh, it's like, right. Marley Pythons. <laughs> <laughs> 403. No! Ah! Okay. <laughs> the, um, the Hillside Strangler on the 6th makes an unexpected full confession. You know, it wouldn't be 40 years ago if we didn't have something so about a serial her. murder, right? Uh, we just
1: don't have the same—is it? Is, is it me? I know there's a lot of true crime. I know it's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. But have we had a good serial killer recently? I mean, the, Ted Bundy, the Zodiac Killer, Hillside Strangler, mm-hmm. the trans-can, Trans-Siberian Railroad Killer. No,
2: I'll tell you why, They're James.
1: all multiple killers, and they all came out in the 70s and 80s.
2: I'll tell you why, James. They're too easy. It's CSI. Oh, it's CSI.
1: They're, They're CSI. caught
2: too easily now. You know, Jack the Ripper, they never knew they were caught. Him now? Right. Jack the Ripper, it'd be like, you know, two he, days later. He may get one or two. That's about it. Right. He'd never be Jack the Ripper. He'd just okay. be Jack. Okay. Uh, the this, Okay, now I get to what you really want to know about. Yes. Thursday, July 9th, okay. 1981. Nintendo launches the following video game.
1: Well, the only video game I'm aware of that's a Nintendo that I would know is Donkey Kong. So that's what I'm going to go with. Is that your final answer? It is my final answer. You, sir, are correct. Ooh. Yay. Ding, ding for me.
2: And then the last one. I told you there's a lot happening. Ready for this? To July 10th, 1981. A town. 40 bully, years ago today. 40 years ago today, James. A town bully, Kevin Rex McElroy, is shot dead mm. in front of a crowd in Skidmore, Missouri, after a decades-long reign of terror in the town. Despite there being at least 46 witnesses to his killing, nobody is I, ever identified as the culprit. Wow. That is a ooh. ooh. Argument, Are you yeah? not a yeah. Maybe they just all got together with guns, and they're like, if we all fire, well, it's like the, you know the firing squad? You wouldn't know who had blanks who did it? If we all just fire. Right. We just get one gun, we'll just mix them all around. Right. It's like a firing squad.
1: I can't believe they never found the killer of that. Well, that, that seems... he was never, well, no one talked. I gotta get my wife on that case because she's a, she's the true one of the you know she's a true crime junkie like a lot of people are. Uh, I gotta find out what was the name of this guy. Kevin Rex McElroy. Kevin, is that really his name? Yeah, that's a song. Kevin Rex McElroy. Oh, he's look. First thing that came up. There it is. The town bully. Unsolved. It's unsolved still. See? So I guess he's not coming on the show. Nope, all right, that's four years ago. Wow. That's a lot. There he is. Oh, what's the first question? What happened to his wife? Oh. She died in 20, apparently of cancer. she probably happy to see him go. Okay. Wow, this is, this is. All right, James. This is, now I know why people like true crime. Is this a true crime show?
2: No, James, okay. this is not. stop,
1: that's right, <laughs> let it go. All right, so that was a lot, very interesting and you didn't do any of the programming for this. We don't know what's Hunt TV. You know, it's the
2: same stuff, James. Really,
1: Really nothing new ever comes up. Well, back then, if I recall, they're not going to change. This is summer reruns at this point, right? So, yeah. So really, we don't need to look into this until we get back in September. Do you know what the number one song was, though? That I do know. I love A Rainy Night. I'm
2: always going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, Kim Carnes, again. Oh, uh, Betty Davis. Correct. And I think it's going to be here well, I don't know. I mean, I know How would I know? That's if right. It's going to be there for a while. It just yeah. seems like a good song. Yes. Oh, did you see? Um, did you see that Indiana Jones? What was that movie called that came out that we were uh, going to go see? The Raiders of the Lost Invaders something? of the Invaders of the
1: Lost Ark. Yeah, Invaders of the Lost Ark. What do you think? Let's see. Was it good? Um, yeah. I like the I like that when the people melted. That was good.
2: That was good. All right. Was is Raiders of the Lost Ark? Gonna was that a good movie? Yeah.
1: Yes, it was good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I hope they make a sequel. That's pretty good. Yeah. 'Cause
2: sequels are always better.
1: Hey. <laughs> yes, they're always better. I mean, well, I, I don't know where you go from there. They found the, the arc of the whatever. <laughs> they, they did they the, didn't arc the, the arc of the fellowship. Yeah, they were they were like
2: uh Peter Jackson with the high they didn't realize you just have to end it at 30. they just stretch it. And right. they find
1: the arc at the end. What are you thinking? Yeah, the first part just could just been in Peru or wherever they were. Right. Just getting there. Right. And then they could spend all their time in Cairo. But I do, I do recall two things of that movie. One, I got bronchitis because I wasn't feeling well. It came out. Mm-hmm. I must have saw it. In, I must have not seen it in the summertime because I was sick. And the second thing, at least for my 11-year-old brain, it was like, wow, that's so deep that they, they're putting the Ark of the Covenant in the big warehouse. With, what other secrets mm-hmm. are in there? I'm like, ooh. Yeah. The military, that, I thought that was very profound. That was very sixth sense, you know, I see dead people kind of thing. So interesting that idea. would have
2: been better they should have gone off of the uh the warehouse
1: right you know and stuff in there right
2: Well,
1: right. the idea of this was one of millions of right things it's just nothing just one of the millions things right. that they had in there there's like a flying secret. saucer in there right yeah exactly <laughs> so i was like ooh, but you know now i'm like man eh, okay good for that right you're older and I'm more cynical
2: so <laughs> you're like what's his name for christmas story after the dakota ring
1: that's right. That's uh, even more team. Support Grog Talk by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com backslash And we are back. And Dan, we have a new little figure with us. Why don't you introduce our guest?
2: Yeah, so it is our pleasure to have on the show today Alan Groey Alan is the co-founder of Black Blade Publishing, which has been at the forefront of the ORS movement and Alan, known as Grow Dog uh, to many. He's a fixture in the OSR movement. So, Alan, it is a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Well, thanks, Guy. Happy to be here. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. So,
1: um, Alan, we've been trying to get you on for a while. Schedules have, uh kind of go through. How, how has, um, just real quick, have you been the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything else? You know, uh, how's that worked out? Have you done any gaming uh, conventions and that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, well, uh, I I just came back uh, from the North Texas uh, RPG Con. Uh, so that was at the beginning of June this year. Uh, and it's been going for, I don't know, 12 years now or something like that. Um, and uh, that was the first in-person convention I'd been to since North Texas in
1: 2019.
0: Okay. Um, so that was nice to get back and see friends and game in person there and stuff like that. So it's been cool. Um, I, uh, I work from home in general, uh, before the pandemic. So I've been working from home since 2005. Um, so that's been pretty easy for me from an adjustment point of view. Right. But, uh, you know, we had, to uh, when the kids were doing everything from home here, and you know, we kind of upped the bandwidth, got another access point in the house, you know, had to do some adjustments for that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> now, how was North Texas this year versus two years ago? What were the differences?
0: It was pretty good actually. Um, North Texas is a relatively small convention, so um, this year I want to say there were probably in the neighborhood of 300, 350-ish people um, and uh, that's a little bit smaller than previous years, but not immensely so, but I think that the big difference we saw from um, at, our, at our Goodman Games Black Blade booth was that There were probably more folks who were in just for the weekend rather than for the whole four days of the convention um so that was probably a little bit of a difference um but and then you know some some folks uh who were sort of regular attendees uh didn't come this year thinking it was a little bit still too soon to be out and about wanted to kind of give it a little bit more time to soak in or you know maybe hadn't had a chance to get vaccinated or whatever yet
1: Well, well great
0: Okay, and I wanted to add so you are you're definitely a fixture in
2: the OSR movement. I mean when I got back into the game several years ago and I started bouncing around online, looking up things, Grow Dog, this this person named Grow Dog appeared, it seems like everywhere. If you scroll down the comment list, you would Grow Dog would be commenting. And that of course is you. I I wanted to get your thought. OSR, old school revival or old school renaissance?
0: do you think? Well, uh, I don't know that it matters kind of what you call it truthfully. All right. Thanks so Um, much, Alan. appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
2: But is it, because one of our guests was felt that they didn't like old school revival because they felt it never went
0: away. Well, when, um, I think when my perspective of from when it was starting, it was more old school renaissance was the terminology and that's still how I just kind of think of it. And renaissance is a cool word. Um, so I, I mean, I like that and I like the sense of sort of, uh, returning to the roots and giving it new life and building beyond on the foundation you had before. So, you know, what, what the real life renaissance did was, you know, expand our, science and medicine and art and everything well beyond what the classics were that it was based on from ancient Rome, ancient Greece and stuff. But so, I mean, I really like that sense of, uh, the term Renaissance, but I, I'm not deeply married to sort of one or the other from, uh, how you want to kind of flavor it and stuff. And, and I, and I think the OSR has changed quite a bit in terms of the, the focus of the types of games and the um, and the reasons those games are being designed and created and published now compared to what it was back in, you know, two thousand three to two thousand eight, nine kind of frame time frame.
2: And I was gonna ask you, is there a date that you would identify as the beginning? I'm writing a textbook on this, James, right. as, as, a begin, <laughs> as a beginning of the OSR movement. Because you were, I mean, you, you really never went away, right? I mean, you continued to play. Through, you didn't go into a deep freeze like people like James and I did.
0: Well, I mean, I, I, I came back to D&D specifically with uh, the, the, really, the Back to the Dungeon campaign for third edition. Um, so I hadn't played D&D actively for probably about 10 years or so, okay. um, maybe a little less um, during that window. So in the 90s, I was playing lots of Cthulhu, um, lots of uh, vampire and related storyteller games, stuff like the Ars Magica, you know, things like that. But, um, but D&D was definitely not as much of my focus then. So I did definitely go into a D&D hibernation. Can I
2: say about that? Is um, that was D and D not cool then? I think we, you know, we had Dan Collerton on the show, who he said in the late eighties, it just seemed it wasn't. I don't know, it just wasn't as as a. I mean, I don't know if it was ever cool in the eighties. <laughs> when we say cool, we mean for people like us. Right. But that it just was sort of going out of vogue at the time. Was it going? Was Was that why you left D and D for a bit?
0: I think I, I think you know D and D felt like it left me. You know um, the. Uh, the, the way that they were creating products, you know, I was a diehard Greyhawk fan, I still am. So, um, you know, the Greyhawk stuff they uh, started putting out in the late 80s was pretty lame and, you know, garbage for the most part. And uh, it, it didn't really start reviving from a setting point of view until Carl Sargent started doing some work on it um, in the early 90s. So, like, um, when they published uh, the joke Castle Greyhawk module, uh WG 7, I think. Um, you know, I I I returned it to the bookstore I bought it at. Wow. <laughs> you know, I I felt like, you know, betrayed. <laughs> and then when um, you know, uh, you know, Jim Ward had written a uh article in Dragon about uh kind of making D mom friendly in like, I don't know, issue one thirty-ish, one thirty six, something like that. Um And, uh, you know, they, they stripped out the assassins and the monks and I didn't really see any need for that. But then, you know, they changed the names for the demons and devils. And it just seemed like it was becoming much more sanitized than what I wanted in a game. So, so I moved on. So third edition brought you back in. Yeah, so I think really what what pulled me in with third edition was um, the uh, the focus back on Greyhawk and foregrounding it in the core rules, um, and then the Living Greyhawk campaign was you know that was interesting, um, and uh, and I think they did a really good job of kind of um, pulling people back into the hobby uh, with. What made first edition D&D so much fun was that focus on good dungeons and stuff like that. Now, I don't know that the execution of the system and all that stuff was in the long run what really would have kept me going there. But is there some, um, was but, there somebody? Uh, I was a victim of the marketing hype for sure. Was there
2: somebody at TSR at that time that you think was responsible for that?
0: Oh, for the marketing? Um, um, for
2: bringing back in, for, for giving it a vibe that would bring people like you back into it.
0: Well, I remember them talking about the D20 license and stuff at the Gamma Trade Shows in either 98 or 99. Um, and uh, and Ryan Dancy did a whole presentation around what their vision for the OGL license and the D20 system license and all that stuff was going to be. And I, that, I thought that was very interesting. And that was a, also a far cry from what TSR was doing at the time. You know, that was a kind of returning the game to the fans in some ways in terms of opening it back up for those kinds of third-party products and stuff that they relied on so much for third edition. Um, and I think, uh, you know, so if it, that's really before the start of the OSR, but that really it laid the foundation for what the OSR could come out of. Um, you know, without that approach to... Uh, making the rules accessible and open, the OSR, I think, would not have happened in the way that it has. I don't know maybe it would have, but because you know the the very early um, kind of proto OSR stuff with Necromancer games is, you know, third edition rules, first edition feel and with Castles and Crusades and with Hackmaster. You know, those things kind of were happening, um, you know, before the full OSR started uh, as we think of it today. So, you know, maybe it still would have happened. I don't know. But, so, so, so but that's kind of where I would start to put that zone, you know, so mm-hmm. you, it kind of built on that OGL foundation for third edition. And then as people grew more and more either dissatisfied or wanting to return to closer to the roots of what D and D was, I think that's kind of what really started driving, uh, the, the origins of the real OSR.
2: And, uh, when was, when was Gary con zero you were at Gary con zero and that, that it it's was. kind of a, is, is with that sort of coalesce with or coincide as sort of perhaps a start of the OSR movement too. I think that's
0: fair. Um, Gary's Gary's funeral was, um, uh, you know, the, the first Gary con. Um, and I actually ended up having to leave a little bit early because my, uh, my wife went into labor with our second son oh, a month wow. early. Oh, wow. um, so, so I ended up le- I ended up leaving like catching a plane out like the next day in the morning earlier uh, than I was supposed to have left at the time. Um, oh. but uh, but yeah, I think uh, you know gary's Gary's death, I think, brought a lot of people together to talk about, um, you know, what D&D meant to them again. And it, it served as a catalyst, uh, in some ways, I think, for uh, folks uh, kind of rallying around the game, in some ways.
2: And how was it? So how? So you were at you were at Gary's funeral.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, so, yeah. I attended it there.
2: Okay, so so who did you? How does that happen? So James, we were not. Right. Invited,
0: we were invited. How does
2: that happen? I mean, who did you know in the business at that time? Because that was a pretty. Was it a large gathering, a small gathering?
0: It wasn't huge. Um, the uh, the family kind of had opened it up to gamers attending the funeral. Um, so local people came, and then like some folks I know uh, who were. Um, not necessarily, you know, quote unquote, old school designers and stuff uh, also attended. I remember um, Monty Cook had flown in from Seattle for the funeral and he and some other folks were there who'd come in together uh, to be there and pay their respects. Um, But I was there, uh, I was already planning to head up to uh, Lake Geneva that weekend, have a business meeting with Rob Kunt. And uh, the timing just happened to work out that that's when the funeral was going to be. So, I went to the funeral with him. Uh, Paul Stormberg was there, who's also very active in the OSR and in Dragon's Foot and with Gary's and Gail's estate. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so uh, that's the first time I met Luke or Ernie in person, I think, was at the funeral there.
2: Um, Could I, I'd like to take you way back. I'd li- I want to hear about Mrs. Major.
0: Uh, Mrs. Mag- Mrs. Magger Mag Magger. Magger uh, sorry Magger. no that's all right uh, she was the librarian at the school uh, that I went to elementary school <laughs> in so uh, she was awesome um, she taught our uh, gifted and uh, talented kids in school and uh, she when I graduated she gifted me with the library's copy of the Holmes box set wow. Um, that's awesome. So I had not um, had a co- my own copy of the rules when I first started playing. Um, I learned from a guy down the street uh, named John Lewandowski. My brothers and I did, and uh, we kind of played with this wonderful mishmash of Holmes basic and the uh, the the heritage dungeon dweller kind of miniatures uh, kind of set from the. Uh, caverns of doom uh rules uh so sort of like half D and half board game miniatures um and we used the old little electronic stratomatic uh football figures oh, yeah, yeah. as miniatures and we would like paint them different colors and give them toothpicks to be swords and stuff like that um so i didn't actually end up having my own copies of the rules um until 1980 um I remember waiting for Deities and Demigods to come out. So that summer I had bought the Monster Manual Player's Handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide. And I'm like, oh, so this is actually how you're supposed to play. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that seems so unlike you now, right? I don't, yeah. So uh, I, I would have thought you would have been the kid at the bookstore as they come out and buying them, but maybe, maybe your parents weren't handing you any cash.
0: Well, I, I think I ended up getting, like, you know, summer jobs and stuff like that starting around then so
2: was yeah. was there anything in holmes basic that really that you really like and that you think did it better than
0: ad and d um i think holmes for me felt like a really good distillation of in retrospect because i didn't know od and d at the time but it, it's a really good distillation i think of od and d um and what did I like better about it? Um, I it, it just felt like a natural flow to me, I guess, into AD&D. And the the rules, you know, Holmes was really kind of geared toward that, toward getting you to play AD&D in terms of talking about it and stuff. I like the the uh, the things that uh, Eric put into the the rules uh, about. Sort of making it your own and customizing it. There's, it's, it's kind of like little hints of things throughout it. But, um, you know, where he talks about the character classes and how you could have somebody who's a centaur or a samurai or a witch, and that's all from his campaign, um, of course. And then um, that's uh, Holmes is also the the box set that has the fun little aside about Intensors floating disk about Tenzer's greed as a, as a character or perhaps as a player uh, in the game, which I thought was a, a neat little anecdote. And I would always forget where that was. I'd go back looking for it and I'd go, oh, yeah, it's in the home set. I would want to look at that later for Greyhawk references. And you, at, from a very young age, you were going to conventions.
2: So I think, you know, for a lot of us, we couldn't afford. I mean, we're 12 years old. I have a bike. Right. You, you went to Origins in 1980, right. correct?
0: I did. Yeah. So I started playing in 77 uh, as a kid. Um and I was 7 years old. Um so again, I I don't know that I would have even if I had the rules, I don't know it would have made much difference right, in yeah. my ability to actually use them. <laughs> um but um we had the the South Jersey C- I grew up in a small town called Merchantville in South Jersey, uh, which is uh, right across the bridge from Philly. And um there was a lot of conventioneering going on in that area, um, so Origins was was still kind of moving around from site to site. It would often be in Baltimore, um, and then uh, that in, in that year it was at uh, Widener University again, um, which is uh, outside of Philadelphia. Um, and my uh, my aunt, um, who was a, a a Roman Catholic nun. She, uh, she was, uh, very progressive and, uh, she had, she was friends with the brothers Hildebrandt from up in her parish. Um, so I met them sometime when I was a kid. Um, but she took took me to the convention. Um, and, uh, I think one of my friends came and then maybe a, another year we went afterward. I think maybe, uh, my friend's mom took us or something like that. So, uh, we, we stayed in the college dorm so it wasn't, uh, you wow. know, I don't remember okay. it being particularly air conditioned, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, and then we would kind of run around and play games and, you know, kind of experiment and see what's going on out there and all that kind of stuff. Um, what I remember most from, and I, I still don't know for sure whether it was that convention or it was, um, one of the Gen Con Easts. they had Gen Con East one in Cherry Hill, which is the town right next door to Merchantville, where I would bike to the mall, to the bookstore to get my books. Um, uh, I don't, I don't remember if it was there or, or if it was the following year at Gen Con East two, which I think was back at Widener. But um, at one of them, I remember uh, playtesting testing uh, gangbusters okay. uh, before it was published. And what I remember was playing that with some guy Uh, who in retrospect later I recognized as Gary um, because Mm -hmm. he had the the little portrait picture on the Grenadier miniatures and uh, on the little box set for like, I don't remember if it was Tomb of Spells or one of the, I guess it was one of the action art sets Um, and it has the picture with him kind of holding a skull there in the corner of the the miniatures uh, sheet showing what all the figures are and uh, I recognize I'm like, oh I know who that is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Wait at the
2: timeout. Okay. So you you pl- you were playing a game with Gary. He's 10. And you're 10. But, so I,
1: plus or minus.
2: Plus or minus. Yeah. So this is at origins. This gangbusters at the nineteen eighty origins, or, or, and, or, or it was either or at the eighty Con
0: origins, Gen or like maybe at the yeah. 81 eighty two Gen ah. Cones. Yeah, somewhere in that zone.
2: So this brings up multiple questions. Number one, you got into a game with Gary. I, it would seem like that would be hard to do, right? right. I mean, now you've got. I mean, yeah. you go to somebody's convention, you have to have the high badge. That's or a platinum
1: badge
0: level,
2: right? I mean, you'd yeah. have to
1: like sell a kidney for to do
0: that right. now.
2: So ha- number one, how? And I know you probably don't know, but how in the world did you get into a game with Gary? And number two, it didn't, it didn't come up. People weren't like, that's Gary.
0: So I, I don't have super strong recollections of the specific <laughs> details, unfortunately. But what, what I remember is that there was this section of the, um, of the convention area where they were doing kind of like open gaming or whatever. And somebody down there maybe was running a demo or maybe doing a play test or something like that. And I got pulled into that. Um, and it was in this, uh, it was in this, you had to walk down the stairs into it. And it kind of felt like, like, a like, a, a a dive college bar or something like that with the tables set up and things. It could have been a student center or whatever. I remember it was in this building called the Hobbit for the convention. And I don't mm. think it was called the Hobbit all the time. Right. <laughs> and this is some, this is something I've been trying to track down actually. So I could try to nail down this by like pulling up trying to find convention programs and stuff uh, to see if it, it'll say, like, oh, open gaming was here that year or whatever. And I just haven't been able to find the the right stuff to figure out exactly what it was. Um, but what I remember is playing the game, I remember that it was, um, you know, uh, the counters and stuff. And it, What I'm remembering is that it was... Um, it, it. I think it was pretty close to like the final like looking map and counters and things so it may well have been after gangbusters was out as opposed to it being playtesting gangbusters before it came out which would put it more in the 82 ish time frame probably 81 82 so what was gary um, what was he like so i don't have any recollection of the game i only recognized him in retrospect afterwards so it could be that maybe he stopped by and was watching it could be that he was playing a little bit there i just don't remember this he made such a big impression that alan's yeah. like Was oh, whatever yeah
2: he made a big he, stark impression excuse me i'm playing here that's right
0: he, he's, yeah well, he, maybe you shushed him <laughs> <right>. we're playing <laughs> <laughs> probably wouldn't have done that but <laughs> <laughs>
2: and you met gary but, other times right you went to other conventions in the 80s can you tell us about yeah, that yeah
0: yeah so he signed my dmg at origins in 87 um and then at um uh, at the lake geneva gaming convention that the troll games used to put on um before gary Con, um in 2000 and i don't know Four, seven, something like that. Somewhere in those years, um, I, uh, I saw Gary again and I had him sign a bunch of various things. I had him sign some of my favorite dragon issues and he signed my warriors of Mars and things like that. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I had the, I had the pleasure of uh, meeting him several times at conventions and I did correspond with him and with Rob a little bit, uh, around the time of the founding of new infinities too. So uh, I had met Rob at Dragon Con number one in eighty-seven, which is the first convention I traveled to on my own that was like out of state. Oh, he's frozen. He's frozen. You guys yep. froze.
1: Yep, you're back. You're back now. So okay. go ahead.
0: Um so I uh, so I met Rob at 87 and I started corresponding with him. And then I also was following what Gary was doing with New Infinities and I Sent some letters back and forth with, uh, to Gary as well, but uh, those were much more perfunctory in response and stuff. He didn't have a lot of time to write to fans in detail and things. Rob had a little more time to follow up, and that's what really started our longtime friendship and uh, publishing association eventually. so
2: In retrospect, is there one question mm. you now wish you could ask Gary?
0: Hmm... There's probably lots of questions I would like to have asked gary um that I don't think I have anything that kind of stands out as something that I've always wished I'd asked him that I hadn't asked because he was so accessible online through the e n world or dragon's foot question and answer threads that you could kind of just pop in and ask him anything and um and such um what i what I kind of wish would have happened a little differently, I guess, in terms of that relationship with Gary would be that, um, when I was working with Tadashi Ohara from chaosium and different worlds, um, in the, uh, early two thousands, I wish maybe like two or three months earlier we had pitched Gary and Rob on the idea of, uh, you know, an ostrich like book, uh, more aggressively because, um, Gary had kind of made a gentleman's agreement to publish Castle Zagig with the Troll Lords in 2003, 2004, after his first stroke-ish, somewhere in that zone of time. And, uh, and it was just a few weeks later that I had asked him about whether he'd want to do something like that with Sadashi. Uh, okay. So I wish the timing had been better to you know see that whole kind of project come to fruition sooner and maybe in a more complete, Way than it turned out. Okay, and I wanted to ask you before we, I, I do, of
2: course, want to get to Ostrich. I'm fascinated by your search for Treasure of the Dragon Queen. Uh, you know, if, if there's if there's something Alan is having difficulty locating, you know, it's hard to find. Right. This man is everything, pretty much. So I don't know if you have any white. This is your white whale, isn't it? Something called Treasure it of the is. Dragon. So yeah. can you tell us the story? Why is this your white whale, and what is it?
0: So this was, I have, I have some more crisp memories about this and I have found some of, uh, the, uh, a little bit of inf- info and artifacts and things about it, um, over the years. So, so this was a convention. So in, uh, in Jersey, uh, there's the Rutgers university up in North Jersey and there's a, there were a group of folks there and, the, they still, I think have a functioning university gaming club, Rutgers university gamers. I don't think it's called. Exactly that now, but it's still there and rug, Rug.
1: right? I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. What do we call it? Rug, (laughs) yeah,
0: and 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 they ran events, um, up and down the east coast. They would run games at Origins, they had their own convention, Northeaster Con, from 82 to 84, 83 to 85, something like that. Well, they had a van, so (laughs) they traveled. And, uh, and they, they also, you know, ran events at, uh, Atlanta con and some of the other, uh, conventions in the area. But, um, this, this convention we played was a lot of fun. It was a, uh, it was a, it was a quest to, it was a race to try to recover the treasure of one of Tiamat's consorts, um, before, because the, the horde would destabilize the whole region, you know, cause wars, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and it was, a you were racing against three sets of, uh, NPC slash monster characters trying to get to it. So there was this force of druids that were maybe allied with lizard men. Um, there was a beholder and the beholder, I remember, cause we must've encountered him at some point because they had, there was this Jeff D style, like illustration of the beholder bursting up through the floorboards ah. in the room and eye rays shooting all over at you and things um and then there were these two evil fighters ty and agmar uh that were uh also after the treasure and they had henchmen or maybe they had the lizard man i don't remember um but it was a lot of fun and uh, i played it with my brother uh and i think our one of our uh best friends who played a lot of dnd with us as kids. uh a uh, guy named Alex who lived down uh, the next street over. So my brother Phil and Alex and I I think all played this um, at the convention in '84, is what it turns out later. Um, so I've tried to track down the. I mean, I've tracked down the president of RUG, and it turns out that one of the other guys who um, was part of RUG remembered that Al Reeder, who was the president, he was an artist and he would do like an, illustrations for their in-house zine. So I had reached out to Jeff D and talked about it, and like Frank Menzer and a bunch of other folks, to try to get recollections from people who were involved in the RPGA to see if this was an RPGA adventure. At one point, some people thought Tom Moldvay might have written this, um, but I think in the end it was probably a it was a Rutgers University original. My hunch is that Al Reader did the art that I remember so iconically from it. Um, and that hopefully somewhere in the Rutgers archives or something, somebody has a copy somewhere. So yeah, that, that's my white whale. I, so what I originally was trying to do was my brother, Phil was turning 30 in, oh, I don't know, 2001 or something like that. When I, 2002, when I was, um, trying to hunt us down, um, for the first time and I thought, oh, well, I could try and find this tournament. You know, people, it, it's not that long ago then. Um, <laughs> and uh, I could run it for him as a birthday present. And uh, I'll, I will have to, you know, create this, rec- I've, I've settled that I will have to recreate the adventure, you know, at some point on my own. And maybe I'll do that for his 50th, <laughs> you know, birthday. Yeah,
1: you, so your experience, you, you never saw, except for the illustration, you didn't like peruse the adventure, you just played in it.
0: Right, exactly. So uh, what I did find is in some of our old um, kind of convention ephemera, because I have a bunch of my old badges and stuff from way back when as a kid too. And then I had uh, saved a bunch of programs. So I have like the East Con program, which was another one of these conventions in the South Jersey area that was like in 83. And that that's the first uh, mention outside of Dragon Magazine I had found at the time of Rob Koontz's tournaments. For The Maze of Zane, which he later published with Creations Unlimited and then with Necromancer Games, etc. Um, but anyway, um, the uh, so in that stuff, I found my brother Phil's character sheet mm. from the tournament. Uh, so he was playing a cleric named Turpin Mace Welder. Uh, and the character sheets were done on these old style computer punch cards uh, that were like a third party product published in like 87 uh, or excuse me, from, from like 77, 78. Um, and, uh, so I, I found that, uh, and then I found eventually, uh, some convention, the, my convention programs from that time that had the convention blurb in there. So that's that. And my recollections about it are really all I have from a detail point of view about the adventure. So I'm sure it's, you know, by now it's amplified in awesomeness, you know, 700 fold in my head compared to like maybe the five, 10 page adventure might really be, I don't know, but it would still be fun to track.
1: But this experience has, is, is obviously so indelible for the last 20 something years that, uh, and I've mentioned a similar thing where But but you had played for a long time at that point. It wasn't like you were a new player. When I've heard stories like this from other people, and myself included, it's something early on where the DM or an adventure that was really so unique, and it just, you know, again, my example was the guy who started playing with us. He had this tournament that your player character would go through, and it was like this random Rube Goldberg, multiple dice, and my character was a half-orc assassin and he had to do a poetry reading against you know a bard, and, and basically I had awesome. no, ch- you know it was to the death. Everything was to the you know you could, you, know, you, you basically wagered. I love it. Right. Poetry to the death. I know. Oh, now he's got to find this one too. Right. He's got this. Put this so, on the list. And and it was it was just fu- It was just random things you had to do. And so you know and it was a sk- basically a skill check. And I rolled a twenty, you know, because I had literally one in twenty chance of having that. It, it, so it became a draw. It was you know a miracle roll, but that. Experience And the fact that it was random, you know, skills versus this, it was indelible. I'm sure if I talk to him again, I, I could. It's probably like, you know, one page with just random crap that he put in. So I'm, I'll be curious if you ever do find your white whale is – and besides this evocative picture, is it just like, you know, like when, when we write Tournament Adventures, it's – well, you, when you write a Tournament Adventures, it's 300 pages. When I write one, there's right. like five notes, you know, some scoring – uh, I, I really and hope I'll you be find in between it. you guys on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. yeah, because
2: you're you're in publishing. You yeah, you so publish the, your stuff,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> you should publish your stuff based on how long it is. So, yeah, if charged by pages. Right. You, you, people couldn't afford it. At right. This point. Right. I'm,
0: well, I'm, that, well that, that's a way to make money. Get paid by the word. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, uh, well, we wish you luck in finding that. So, yeah. Well, good luck. Yeah, so.
1: Well, we need to set up a separate channel on Discord. The uh, the dragon queen treasure, the dragon queen channel. See if anyone yes. comes by. I, I
0: figure I should like put a, put a public notice of, a you know, $2,000 reward or yeah. something out there for it or something. And that would make something happen, but, That's uh, all right. but I, I actually even tried to reach out to the editors of the Rutgers university alumni magazine to get them interested in a story about the conventions and the gaming group. Oh, okay. And, uh, and, and then of course my, you know, the real reason I want to do that is to try to find a sure. adventure. Well, Oops. I
2: don't think this would work. Is Rutgers a public university? It's a
0: state university, yeah.
2: It's a state. And was this organization connected with Rutgers, or is it just a- Yeah, park? they
0: were an official club. Have, you, yeah, have so. you tried
2: a Freedom of Information Act request to Rutgers? I have not,
0: but that's a that's an interesting possibility I will write down. Yes,
2: because I'm sure they're really gonna search long and hard. They're gonna be like, No, we don't have
1: there's no documents responsive to your request. Is this a voluminous <laughs> request? So, you know <laughs> is, Yes, I'd like think... all the records for this. Uh, as as in the freedom whatever the New Jersey law. Maybe, you know, well,
2: well maybe there maybe there's a box somewhere. Right. You know? Nice. I mean, what's the—do what's? Do they have to keep—well, they never handed it off. I mean, it's not like that organization is going to hand it to the registrar's office. You know? They're just going to yeah. throw
0: it in the trash. It's it's, a, it's in a box in somebody's, you know, attic is my hope. Well, you know what um,
2: we're going to do for you? We have, a, we have a die here, which is yes or no. It tells the future. And we're going to roll. So are you, uh, do you want to know the answer or do you not want to know the course. answer? Of course. All right. Here we go. Will Alan ever find— the uh, sorry,
0: treasure of be... the dragon. Queen. Thank you. Treasure of the dragon queen. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. You will find it. Well, Hope got, springs I, eternal. I, I had a, a very fun old, not old. It was a, it was a trinket from, um, uh, where'd it go? Here we go. Uh, from a uh, magic eight ball from a tech conference. And this one had a 20 sider inside of it, oh, not just wow. your usual four or eight. So I've always thought it would be fun to create an omen die for for gaming and uh I, I, I will do the same thing from time to time and see what uh, see what comes up i was
2: i was really hoping it would be the yes but
0: because then yes, we could talk right. about yes but it's that adventure
2: sucks right <laughs> it's just the yes it's, but you know what's interesting is there is one with an exclamation point he didn't get that right so it's just like yes you will yes, get it will like get yeah it. it's pretty good yeah okay it's,
1: it's affirmative but not i'll take it yeah. yes yes what, what
2: what adventure have you bought that you expected to be meh, and then you're like, this is great. So is there like a hidden gem that you're just like, wow, I didn't see that coming?
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of fun adventures that are, that are like that, that, that play out better than they look. Um, but I think um, the one that I probably have a soft spot for in Greyhawkness, Greyhawk uh, setting is the uh, Return of the Eight adventure. Uh, that was done by Roger Moore as part of the Greyhawk revival, Greyhawk '98 oh. timeframe. Well, if it's the, the Roger Moore, well, if it's the Roger, well, of course it's good. It's the Roger Moore. Of course, but, uh, uh, it, star- it yeah. starts out very railroady, um, but uh, the the coolest thing, and, and the coolest thing about it is that the uh, it details Tenzer's Castle hmm. um, as this uh, as this really cool location. Sort of on its own little uh, tidal causeway out in the Nerdive, uh, about a mile from the shore, and um, the uh, the storyline's uh, relatively interesting. It it, it kind of builds off the uh, the premise that uh, from the Greyhawk Wars era of Second Edition D anD D Greyhawk, um, Robilar and Rary betrayed the rest of the Circle of Eight killed tenser and autoluke and maybe somebody else um and they they were uh, slain uh there there was no their clones were destroyed and they're they're just gone so in this adventure uh it turns out the Ten- tensor had a secret uh secret clone facility set up on one of Oerth's moons that then got activated and uh his clone is then coming to fruition. So it's the story of sort of the tensor re-emerging into the flanass through this process. Um but the, the fortress was very cool. And there were like bad guys invading the fortress from Yuz, and Igwil was operating in the background and um you do, you wanna, from,
1: do you wanna pull out your gazette? I here? need Carlos Lising here to yeah, help yeah, that, to to, trans, help with to that, translate yeah. some of this for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So and uh, and the uh, Tourney from the Iron Flask of Turney the Merciless is part of the storyline. So it was a fun adventure. So a little railroady, but I really enjoyed it. Well, one of my all-time
2: favorite adventures is very railroady, which is uh, Dan Collerton's Rise of the Dark from White Dwarf magazine. Very railroady, but I I think you can do railroady in a in, in a very
0: good way. Uh, it, just, it takes okay. effort. Just peel off the you know. The, the, the rails and insert it into your campaign and it fits in fine
2: yeah let's talk okay so Osric so you of course are the co-founder of Black Blade Publishing and indeed, indeed and for our listeners who don't know Osric is a very popular 1e clone was it the first 1e retro clone
0: um there's I, I think it probably was but like basic fantasy uh, in terms of retro clones basic fantasy came out around the same time ostrich came out around the same time and then they both were from a retro clone point of view after castles and crusades and Hackmaster and um you know necromancer games's uh entries into the d20 market earlier so earlier in the 2000s so and, yeah and- that that's the i think it's the first um AD&D retro clone. Yeah.
2: And had you gone back to first edition? Because you said third edition brought you back in. Had you returned at some point to first edition before Osric?
0: I did, yeah. So um, I I had always, I'd never left Greyhawk really. So even when I sold off like my Magic the Gathering cards in the 90s and um, which of course. That's too bad. Yeah, I wish (laughs) I kept because I could have put my kids through college with them. Um, Yes. (laughs) um, but uh, I sold off like my uh, my original dra- most of my original Dragon magazines, my od d box set, and Mrs. Mager's home set. I sold and mm. things like that. Um, so there was oh, a, there was a market
1: for them. I mean, I know Magic cards. Was there a market? How how you know? Because again, this is pre oh, well almost pre internet.
0: Well how, the, how, how rec, game, rec Games Fert Miscellaneous, Rec Games Fort Marketplace, okay. and Usenet and stuff like that were, were very active okay. for so, that kind of stuff. And you know, sort of the and, and even at convention flea markets and stuff, that was still kind of going on a lot. That was one of the neat draws about uh going to conventions was you could you know, the my my Greyhawk folio that I bought, I bought from some guy at a convention because I I you know it was Greyhawk and it looked cool and I'd knew at least a little bit about greyhawk from the dmg by then um and uh but i bought that and i bought like the uh the haven box set from game lords and stuff just mm. from some guy at a flea market you know <laughs> at a convention selling some stuff so so you so you were back to 1e
2: you, who are you gaming with at that point was it hard to find people who would play 1e at that point
0: so no no so when i so when i was in california we were playing 3e and what drove me away from 3E in the end was working with Rob and Necromancer Games on the conversion for Maze of Zane Number Four, and having to stat Zane out uh, as a uh, you know as a sixteenth level wizard and sort of you know all the just number crunching and math and horrible making sure all these bonuses add up properly and conditional this and that. It was, that's what drove me away from. Third edition in the end. Um, but when I uh when I so in 2005 we moved my wife and I moved back to the Midwest from California. Um and when I moved back here, I uh we moved to Wichita, which is where her family all is. Um she uh one of the guys who was very active on the necromancer games boards uh, was John Hirschberger, who's my partner in Black Blade. So he and play in their games which were sort of in the process of restarting at that time. Uh so they had gotten together for uh like their old group uh for a friend's funeral um in that 2005ish time frame. Um so we started getting together and playing one shots uh, where we would just get together at people's houses uh and yeah, we weren't playing a regular campaign or anything. Um, we would do them maybe three or four a year for a year or two, and then we decided, well, maybe we should get a campaign going. And that's when John uh, said he wanted to DM uh, Caverns of Thracia. So okay. we started up a AD&D game with Caverns of Thracia, and uh, had a lot of fun delving into Janelle's, uh, you know, wonderful adventure. She was on. Um, so that's what awesome. really started me yeah. back with AD&D there. But I'd already been very active back on AD&D stuff with, uh, you know, the Necromancer games boards. Despite being third edition, there was a very strong interest in AD&D there. Um, I'd never really lost my interest in Greyhawk. Um, and then Dragon's Foot was, you know, up and around. And even early EN world, there was still a lot of interest in earlier editions as well.
2: So tell us about Osric there. So obviously, you know, Osric is is great for people who don't want to spend or can't afford to buy all the books which are getting very pricey now right so so tell us about what ostrich was what is a retro clone and what was ostrich is ostrich
0: yeah so ostrich kind of went through a couple phases of development um when when it was originally conceived ostrich was a much slimmer book and the intention with a um, was to be a vehicle for publishers to be able to still publish AD&D rules like people were doing in the 80s via Rolaids or Game Lords and all these other DELF, uh, you know, uh, third-party guys. Delph That's um,
2: right. He's got my DELF
0: module. That's yeah, right. <laughs> Lear, right, Lear Medusa. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, – so Ostrich was starting out as, a, so it kind of grew out of this idea of, you know, people who were not happy with what Castles and Crusades became and who saw the potential for what maybe could have been by using the OGL, um, then thought, okay, we can create this vehicle for publishers to publish under this safe harbor of the OGL. And although that was not at all the intention, that Wizards of the Coast had when they did the creation of the OGL, um, we thought, okay, we we can take everything we like about AD&D. We can use the real terms, and it doesn't have to be hits to kill. It can be hit points, you know, et cetera, um, and uh, create that as a vehicle to publish adventures. And that's really what it was initially set out to do: help publishers keep AD&D alive by letting people continue to publish more adventures for ad and d um, but eventually um and that, so that was the first version that it was published as and that was done through uh, work uh with a bunch of different folks on the knights and knaves boards and on dragon's foot um so dave prada um who has gone on since to do a lot of work with um jeff telanian's uh hyperborea Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers Hyperborea game. He's the main editor for Jeff's works there. Um and he was a longtime Greyhawk fan as well. I don't remember if Dave was very involved with Living Greyhawk, but and he he's damn prodded, right? He does he did, he
2: did the a uh, combat yeah. Right? yeah right? You use that one, James, right? Yes, the addict. The addict. Yeah. He did the addict, yeah. yeah. right? Yeah.
0: yeah, that's his, that's his. And he's got some other documents that were uh uh, very useful like lists of Greyhawk gods and things like that um, that were, have been around for years and such. But, um, so Dave, Dave and I were sort of the two main editors slash developers for trying to mature the initial manuscript put together by Matt and Stuart. Um, Matt kind of start, Matt Finch started the process and then Stuart kind of picked it up and finished it. And Stuart put the legal framework together because he was based in the UK And, uh, he wisely at the time recognized that having that additional protection of, uh, kind of overseas law, uh, for where the copyright and trademarks were being managed from would give, uh, a little bit of an extra layer of protection initially, because we didn't have any idea what was really going to happen with it. Um, this was clearly not what they wanted, what Wizards of the Coast wanted to be people to be doing with the, the OGL and the uh, the D20 licenses. so did,
2: did it ever, Was it ever an issue, though? I mean, the, has the license changed? They could revoke the license at any time they wanted, I assume. Um,
0: well, the, the OGL, you can still publish it under the terms of the – it's an open license, so it's out there. It's forever available at this point, as I understand it. So. Oh, okay. So
2: now, weren't there some things that you couldn't use? I can't remember. I don't know why it's in my head that some monsters. So th-
0: there were, th- there, yeah. So there's there's a few monsters that are uh, that were not included in the OGL. So things like beholders, um, kua-toa, Yankee, things that are part of the uh, what they consider the original IP of D and D that are sort of completely unique to Dungeons and Dragons. So, those are things that weren't um, included in the scope of the OGL. But then people could create their own versions of those and just have the, you know, Illithids with the serial numbers filed off. And, that, and that's what people were doing in the D20 era already to get around that. Um, and there was a great project that was spearheaded through um, uh, one of the guys on EN World who did a lot of work then with Necromancer Games later for the Tome of Horrors so that became the compendium of all the monsters that were not pub- not in the OGL and necromancer games got because of their uh, them being so uh so strong in supporting the third edition rules um and maybe part- partly also through their the both their legal acumen of the the owners as well as the uh, the re- publishing uh distribution relationship through white wolf but um, they were able to get permission in the Tome of Horrors to then create and uh, make available all these other monsters um, that were not in the original OGL, but were in like the Folio or the Monster Manual 2 or whatever. So all of those creatures then get cited by anybody else through the, the Tome of Horrors when they want to publish something that's in there. And those include you know, the, the versions of the monsters that people can't use now, but they're the version you can use with the serial numbers filed off. OK, so 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 that was sort of the original idea behind Osterix was this um, this vehicle to help publishers keep the game alive that we wanted to keep alive, ignoring the third edition game we didn't care about anymore. Um, and then there was there was enough demand from the player base that they didn't want just sort of a, a conversion document. They wanted a D&D back because AD&D wasn't in print. The books were not quite as expensive as they are now, but they were starting to get up in price. Um, and there's there's still a, a number of people out there who are not fans of AD&D's sort of uh, uh, jayquazed editing and referencing across the books <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in style. We, we, we call that um,
1: flipping and turning. Yes. F-
0: yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, some people don't like the the writing tone of Gygaxian prose either. Um, so so when Oswork began to expand then, what we did is we wanted to be able to kind of condense the core books together into what became, you know, sort of the now standard Oswork 2.0 version or 2.2 version, whatever. Um, so that would be your player's handbook, your monster manual, and your dungeon master's guide stuff. Um, there were still a few things in there we couldn't include. Um or that were done slightly differently so the one of the areas we had to work around from a legal point of view was kind of differentiating how to present information in a way that was like ad and d's presentation but um doing it in a way that's uh mathematically derived as opposed to presentation derived so like strength tables um so the strength tables in Ostrich are slightly different than ad and strength table in terms of where the percentage bonuses break down. And that's because they they follow a straight mathematical algorithm instead of the kind of pr- way it was done in AD&D exactly because that was a presentation decision is what we decided when we were putting all this together. So um uh, and then like the bard was left out um because there wasn't a there wasn't an easy way to do um, that, from a mathematical point of view, you know, it's 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 almost a prestige class, you know, James, in a James sense for for AD and D.
1: James
2: was disappointed that you didn't exclude the gnome.
1: Right. <laughs> I, I would have I would have supported Watsi's uh, claim of that being intellectual property and that it would never see the light of day. James anymore.
2: will bring be bringing a, a legal action <laughs> to exclude the gnome yeah. from Osric <laughs> on behalf of
0: Watsi That's right. <laughs> So, and, and then like the assassin was left out too, but, um, but then Stewart published versions of those in the footprints magazine for dragon's foot among others. And, and there've been other people who've done other versions and stuff too, but otherwise it's largely, oh. you know, there, I think. Oh, right.
1: And so it's, it says, assassin it comes here. back at some uh, point. Well, then
0: yeah. I guess we brought it back in the later version. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and, and maybe I'm going backwards. So, you know, from my perspective, when, we, when I played, you know, is TSR, I wasn't a big fan, no offense to Bill or anyone, of the third party things. It was, I don't know why, but when, when I started, if it wasn't TSR, and I think there was that divide, if you started before 1979, before all the AD&D codification, you still had that do-it-yourself kind of thing, whereas, I don't know what it was, or maybe the play group. Anyway, fast forward. Um, if you couldn't buy it at Walden Books, we weren't buying right. it. Right. And I, Walden Books didn't have Judges Guild. Yeah, and, and and maybe growing up in New York City, the idea of mailing away stuff always seemed like well I might as well just take my money and rip it in half. It's I'm never gonna get it. Right. This. So, there was send, no trust. Send a money order. Well, <laughs> yeah. I
2: didn't even know how to get a money order.
1: Right. Send well, a I, money order to Joe, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> for his adventure. Joe, so I, I guess the thing Do is right. how, how did you how, how did how did you get into publishing and, and was that – oh. were you profe- a professional publisher before? And I'm just imagining these hurdles if you haven't been in publishing and now you're trying to navigate this uh, legal morass mm-hmm. to try to publish something that is to the spirit of what you're trying to do but yet not get in trouble. That just seems like a daunting task.
0: Well, it helped having you know people in the Osric design and in sort of extended design team who are lawyers. So, you know, um, Matt Finch is a lawyer, um, so that helped, for sure, and to sort of understanding the framework and how do you leverage it. Um, so, as but, I said, uh, how did
1: you get through with all the lawyers? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, ass, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought, I thought that how, would kill it. How did I thought, it ever get published? Right. I thought Oscar right. could just be all black pages, Are like a say, CIA wait, thing. Wait, where... you're saying this is
2: because of the lawyers, not in spite
1: of the lawyers? <laughs> yeah, so I'm right. confused. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, so lawyers can occasionally do good, actually. So, <laughs> yeah. yes, that's true. Um,
2: Everyone, need, when but, you need a lawyer, then you love them.
0: But, uh, but I, I, I had a very similar experience with third-party products as a kid. Um, the very few Judges Guild books I saw were not Dark Tower or Caverns of Thracia. They were Laura's Tower and Wondrous Relics <laughs> Three and things writing, like that are you writing those down? They, we need those they were terrible so i i thought judges guild was crap as a kid and in particular the production values of course you know um because the uh you know the, you could hold the paper up to the light and see through it you know yes um, so you didn't bring yeah, it was, back though you like the what you bring back you didn't bring
2: it back like the uh the joke castle greyhawk
0: uh, I didn't buy those. No, I, I, oh. I guess I got them at a convention or he something stole like that too. So, <laughs> yeah, five finger discount. But, no. I'd like yeah. to return
1: this. I mean, he's a Philly kid. I mean, what do you expect? You know, New York—that's how it was. Right? <laughs> that's what you do. I, yeah. I still remember Dino. If you're out there, he shoved two maharas down his pants in in B Dalton. So, and then oh, and wow. then you went through that adventure. D D true crime. <laughs> and then he pulls it out. We've been trying. You know, we're trying to get on this true crime yes. wagon. So I we're see. looking for true crime D&D, D&D true crime so we can do a you know 3 hour mm-hmm. podcast on the know, who, right. who stole I'll, I'll give
0: some thought to that send yeah. me some notes <laughs> cuz that's so
1: popular everyone you know you could talk about how someone stole candy in 1980 and there'll be 300,000 views of that but but a good show yeah. like ours uh, yeah like our quality T- entertainment like we have 73 views yeah,
2: f- hey hey don't be ambitious has 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 OSR how is o- the OSR movement different than the original. So the way people approach one e-play now as part of the OSR movement, do you view it as different now that we're all older and mature?
0: Yes. Well, I like to think that we, you know, we, we've learned better how to run games and write games and stuff. You know, we're not 12 anymore, thank God. So, um, and what makes for a better game? So,
2: you know, for example, what was it about the adventure you went through in 84 the uh, Treasure of the Dragon. What, what makes it a good adventure?
0: Um, well, I think convention adventures are sort of a little bit of a different breed than, you know, your kind of standard campaign adventure. But I think what made that fun was that it was illustrated. It was kind of gonzo with the beholder. And uh, what I remember is there being this giant multi-sided battle at the end of it, kind of, you know, battle of five armies kind of thing or oh, okay. something like that inside this temple structure that we had to we had to locate in the this wilderness so it was a mostly a wilderness adventure um that we were kind of running around hex crawling in for that but uh, but uh yeah I, I um in terms of kind of what's what we know now versus then um when we sat down to start our game campaign with caverns of thracia we talked about building a campaign and playing a campaign and not just doing one-offs and stuff um and i think when you know we were kids that's mostly what we did was we we played modules whether they were from tsr or from third-party people or from dungeon or dragon magazine um and we strung them together and there wasn't as much kind of campaign structure uh there was some i mean i remember doing some greyhawk campaign stuff that was uh in in the 80s that was um kind of uh lifting ideas out of Gygax's Greyhawk novels to, to use as kind of overall arching themes and plot structures and things like that. Um, and then when, when I got into college, you know, we, we had some fun campaigns that we did there, um, as well. And I played probably as much as I would DM in college. Uh, I probably played a little bit more there, but, um, but I think over time that, that's that's a, a shift I think is the the return to the campaign, um, and I think the OSR kind of uh, holds that up as an ideal in the same way that the Mega Dungeon kind of got held up as an ideal vehicle for role playing. So it's, um,
2: it's interesting because you'd think that back in the day we had so much time. I mean, we could play every afternoon. So for so many of us now, we have so little time. So I would think it's for many of us it would be it would be hard for me. To have a campaign, just because I realistically am not going to be meeting more than once every two weeks, maybe wouldn't wouldn't I would think a campaign would be tough.
0: Well, I, mean, I think you could still have a campaign playing every two weeks. Yeah. Um, so the so with the pandemic, I started two new campaigns at, in January of last year. I started a online Castle Greyhawk game that's still going, and then we started a an in person campaign that um, converted to online. And then we kind of put on hold in the fall till we could get back together in person. The guys didn't want to keep doing it um, on site. Do you, you know, need virtually to run a
2: good campaign? Do you need a single DM or can it be done with multiple DMs? Because I was thinking a campaign yeah. if it's a
0: single DM, that's tough on the DM because that's a lot of work. Yeah, I think you could definitely make multiple DMs work. Um, that's one of the things I enjoyed, um, and that I picked Rob Koontz's brain on quite a bit as a kid, and then. As uh, he and I would run g- games together at conventions, I would co DM with him sometimes. Um, so, uh, so it's kind of fun seeing how that process works. And that's not quite the same as obviously running a whole campaign together. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think you could definitely make it work with multiple DMs, uh, either rotating through the same world or just rotating through different campaign worlds or whatever. Um, just you need some way to stitch the stuff together. I think that's the that to me that's one of the things that's more maybe also kind of grew out of this uh out of the OSR is this sense of kind of looking at how we play and finding ways to um put a little more structure and maybe nomenclature around how we play. Um, and then uh, so like you know the OSR is very uh, and I think rightly so, enamored of factions in campaign gaming. So, you know, uh, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you make that work? Um, how, do you, uh, how do you design in factions? But, you know, you could have multiple DMs running different factions, you know, or things like that if you broke things down that way. There's lots of ways to skin the cat, I think.
1: Are
2: you okay with that? I'm very okay with that. Skinning the Skinning cat. Skinning a cat. It's just, it's, it's a, what would they call that? A euphemism, metaphor? Colloquial. It's not actually. But he's got cats too. No,
0: you're talking to a cat lover. Uh, can do you have any cats to show us? I, I don't have any cats to show you right now. We have kittens that we're in the process of trying to, hey. uh, well, we, we've adopted three kittens, one of whom is a feral kitten from a cat who we've been taking care of in our backyard. Oh, you're brave. She has, two, she has two more kittens who we're hoping to be able to pull into the house and domesticate, but they, they disappeared a little bit over after Fourth of July because we think all the fireworks scared them away. Okay, you may so they, know this. They're what, back.
2: What'll work with Feral? It, baby food? I'm not kidding. Baby food on the finger. You may we know, have. We family. have some
0: baby food now. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect,
2: so. perfect. Well, thanks for but coming they, on they, Cat they
0: Talk. The cats seem to like uh, the cats seem to like uh, Frisky's meaty bits the best at the moment. So. Yeah. All right. Well, it
2: sounds like you got everything well under control. Well, it sounds like Good. you
1: have. You know, you've been talking about. I saw you were getting messages. I thought you were reserving your lunch, but you were you were peddling more cat <laughs> trade, cat yes, slave fast, yeah. indentured fostered. Yes. Well, now you can work with Alan and make this across state lines. I'm sure there's other federal charges of trafficking. So, so I can go to federal
0: prison. Right. Federal trafficking a bit easier than state fostered prison. kittens. Right. For sure.
1: And now I'm implicated because you've done this here in my presence. So I sense you. a
0: true crime story coming yes,
1: out of this. Wound. I'm trying to. It's <laughs> all about. I'm willing do? to go to jail to get this true.
2: Crime well, if you'd secret. like me to go steal something from the Sci-Fi City later today, <laughs> I'm happy to do that.
1: Great! I'll I'll let Troy know that you're coming by to steal stuff. So that's awesome. Favorite favorite race
2: and class to play?
0: Oh, um. I think it depends a little bit on uh, what what kind of options are on the table. So I've I've really enjoyed playing with uh, clerics. Yes, um, I love clerics. in in Greyhawk because you can kind of customize them to the god and get different things, uh, powers and things like that with them. So I, I've enjoyed that quite a bit, and I've enjoyed really kind of building out some different aspects of clerical faiths or or faiths. Uh, in Greyhawk for my campaigns. Um, I'm playing a paladin of Wee Joss right now in uh, Bill uh, Sylvie's uh, Monday night uh, AD&D games. So that's been a lot of fun. Do
2: you you believe a neutral cleric should be able to turn? And if so, as an evil
0: cleric or a good cleric? I think it depends. So I let clerics, uh, depending on again, what God they are worshiping and how they're set up, uh, perhaps they can do both, turn or command undead into service. Okay. Or, you know, um, maybe there's different sects that have different powers. Okay. So we joss is a fun example for that in Greyhawk because she's a lawful deity, but she has worshipers who are lawful good, lawful neutral, and lawful evil. And being able to sort of explore the different, uh, uh, I don't know, flavors of clerics through that is a lot of fun. Okay.
1: Oh, well, I was going to say, we have, so we have a question from Carlos, who I guess... Not because, li- not, 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 not the Carlos, another uh, Carlos. Another, hi Carlos, who's not Carlos Lysen. But related to Carlos, which is, uh, he, he, I think you sort of answered his question. You, are you running an AD&D campaign or D&D? And is it set in Greyhawk? Um sounds like you said yes you were
0: yeah
1: and it's ongoings or just occasional
0: so uh, i've got a i've got an ongoing game that i'm dming that's my virtual castle greyhawk game i've got a i had had an ongoing campaign that had started at the same time that's on hold um and my goal with that was to have two campaigns going in the same setting at the same time which i haven't done since college um, so to have intermixing potentially player groups and stuff like that, but that one's on hold for the moment till we get you know fully back on board with gaming in person. And then my son Henry, who is 13, is DMing a solo campaign in Greyhawk for me uh, that he's created out of whole cloth in South Province um, of Greyhawk. Um, and then I DM an occasional game with he and his brothers still, where they're exploring Castle Greyhawk as well.
1: So. Oh, very good! And so Carlos just also said that he played with you at the virtual Greyhawk that was DM'd by the other Carlos, and you oh, were the okay. you were the magic user who saved the party's bacon, so he wanted won <laughs>
0: for that. So ah. <laughs> uh. excellent! Carlos Lysing is a fabulous dungeon master. Oh, um, and yeah, have, we've had a lot of fun. Uh, playing in games with him over the years so he is and we sell his to... books at our uh, booth too at black blades booth
1: so he so now we can self shamelessly plug because we have a convention coming in october Gracon yeah. in orlando and carlos is coming down he's writing the adventure the tournament adventure for us um and he'll be running it with us i think he's going to allow us to run it because i don't think he can do all <laughs> all the people and, uh, we're, we're, you know, again, if you're available and you want to come down, give us a, give us a shout. We'd love to see if that's possible.
0: And when again in October, is that? again? Well, <laughs>
1: October 15th through 17th. Oh, there's another thing on the, the ground, ground line. It's in, uh, I I'll send you the information, sir. Uh, yeah. uh, we'd love to have you. And certainly if you want to run something, we, you know, we could make some arrangements too, to make it a little easier for you to come down. If that's something you wanted to is
0: do. Is the, is the tournament, I would, I would love the opportunity to do that if it worked out. Um, is the uh, is this the tournament uh, that you guys had done the naming contest for? Yes, yes. that's correct. You are the okay. winner. That's, Wait, no, okay. that,
2: oh, he was the winner, wasn't that's right. he? You are the winner. Yeah. 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 See, I okay, I cry foul because did your did your why is that foul? I know, okay. I'm like attacking the gas. <laughs> <laughs> not this in the show. I wonder
1: why we can't get people on sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, we heard what you did to Alan. Great. You
2: attacked Alan Grovey. Calm down, Dan. Wait a second. Did your name? Did your name? Have any sort of gray hawkiness to it? Well, it's about the witch. Uh, Is that? Well, I probably already asked Carlos this. No, you, you, Because, see, were you playing the Greyhawk angle? Because I submitted the Wee Goblin, and the Wee Goblin had no Greyhawkiness to it, and it was summarily dispatched by Carlos. So, Well, he has good taste. Was there a, I want to know, is there a Greyhawky thing going on here,
0: you know what I mean? So, so remind me again, because uh, I, <laughs> I submitted two or three names, uh, but I, I, <laughs> that's I, I'm, I'm it thinking is. it was something around the Witch Queen. The Witch Queen, that's, like right, that's right,
1: that's right. It was the witch what lady. was it? See, he's the Witch the winner. Queen's lament. If he doesn't I remember even correctly. remember his name. The witch Queen's and he lament.
0: Okay, right. Yes. So, so the Witch Queen is a uh, title or epithet of Igwild in Greyhawk. Well,
1: See, he—that's
0: not. How it's you like perfect? studying the teacher. You know, the right. te- oh, I'll always write
2: this on the exam. A- exactly. You gotta throw in some Greyhawk stuff. All right, I'm gonna
0: know that next time.
1: Right. I mean, that's not. That's not. That's. You play, and you and play. if you would
0: like some consulting for some uh, Greyhawk <laughs> uh, uplifting of your submissions in the future, I'm happy to do that at five dollars a title, no problem. <laughs> wow, that's uh, rough, rough. So, so there's
2: no there's no wee goblin in Greyhawk. I uh, apparently not. There's not, but you. Well, apparently Carlos wasn't up to the challenge of that. Um.
1: <laughs> oh. Ooh. I think he's gonna. So we're we're, we're fortunate. Um, you know, Carlos has come on a number of times, and he does a segment called "Indescribable, uh, Incomprehensible Death" for us. We were reading about a cursed scrolls, and that you could be killed without even able to read the scroll. If you just looked at it, the, the curse went off. Said, "Oh, that's incomprehensible." So now we have him come on every you know few months, and he writes a little adventure for us where he kills our pre-gen characters in an incomprehensible way. So we're, we're very that sounds fabulous. And And this, that's why I was setting
2: you up there Dan. Oh you were at the convention he's going to be hosting an incomprehensible death session for as many players who will play. We're trying to set the world record for the largest incomprehensible death session which currently the world record is just 2. Two, right. us. So we should be able to. So we're hoping for like 20,
0: 30 people. Well he's going to kill nice. them all. R- no. Right? At 10 there. times the number of deaths as yes. previously inflicted.
2: That's 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 the slogan. 10 times the death. 10
0: times the death. <laughs> <laughs> same amount of fun 10 times the same day. amount of
2: fun 10 times the death uh,
0: uh, well you what? should use your critical hits uh tables for that obviously as part of it um so i thought it was very interesting the timing because uh john Hirschberger and his crew of players use those good hits bad misses tables in their campaign
2: um, i we used to use yes because we ta- he's been he's going to be coming on in september so okay. he, he didn't come on today, but yes, we're hoping to have the author of, of Good Hits and Bad Misses from Dragon Magazine, which James is, is not as in love with because he thinks it's too deadly on poor characters,
1: because uh, the monsters yes. get to use it. You know? I, I'm <laughs> not, I, again, I'm not a fan of criticals or uh, fumbles, A, because Gary Said wasn't no. a big fan. Right. And statistically, if, if you if your campaign has a lot more monsters, they have more chances Yes, a fumble is not as catastrophic for a goblin as it is for the player. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so, but players love it. They've got, they, they. you see their look when they roll the 20, they go, and you go, oh, con- yeah. congratulations, yeah. you hit them.
2: Yeah, oh. if you're not using, that's true, if you're not using a critical hit thing, they, they look very sad they erupt when they find with the out that a 20 means nothing more than a, a hit with uh, a 12. Congratulations.
0: So I, I don't use the good hits and bad misses article in when i'm dming but um i have always liked the idea of a 20 sort of representing a perfect hit so if you don't already need a a 20 or more to hit on your roll for me then a 20 will cause maximum damage uh, on the roll, which I think is reasonable because, you know, it, it's within the realm of normal die rolling. You could roll max damage on any roll. But this um, is,
2: yeah, I mean, you know, and now, you know, so a conversation probably better for Carl's breaking out. But, you know, Carl's argument, which I bought, is that the problem with that system is that if you need a 22 hit, then every hit 100% of your hits are critical hits or a 1950% right. and so Agreed. that's right and so that he tried to solve that but sometimes yeah. when you solve stuff we have enough rolling in combat don't we I mean is that your concern James too yes. you probably said a lot of extra rolling everyone everyone started in my game they started rolling the percentile right. with the to-hit dice. So and I was finding right. that they Some people do
0: that, you know, they'll roll their to-hit roll and damage roll at the same time. So right. that way you don't have to roll, you know, spend extra time doing both. So this
2: would be, a, so then you'd have, for those people, it'd be the, the to-hit, yeah. the damage, and the percentile. And percent and percent yeah, it it like looks like
0: they were doing augury, like they were trying to figure <laughs> <Exactly>. out.
2: <laughs> and everyone's doing that. There's all these dice. Right. People are losing their dice. Can Lying you, can you get that over here? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and then your die result says unlikely. <laughs> and, if, and, if,
2: and if James, for his percentile, because you use the percentile, don't you, on the good hits? Yes. And bad, if if yeah. you're using James's now Death Star die, yeah, Death This Star thing Day. rolls forever. It's a hundred. You know, it's a hundred sided. Oh
0: sure. So that's why Zachi had him inside the little uh, round ball to oh. for their hundred hundred sider originally. Yeah.
2: That's that's, that's well, good, so. but. Well, James can't buy another one because that was a gift. Yeah, that was the be rude.
1: That was a Father's Day gift. <laughs> so I, have, I, I have to use this one now, which is fine. I'm, I'm, talking, but you know, I, I think that's where, um, and also the skill level of your players or the or the experience of your players. I, we ran when we started. Dan started the game here. He basically, if you build it, they will come. He he started a first edition meetup. People would come. It was an open table. Then I helped him DM. You get all kinds of experience levels. You don't... Oh, yeah. So any more dice, any more confusion, it's like they'll roll... I rolled a 15.
0: Did I hit? The thing is, players like to roll more dice. They do like rolling dice. Even if it slows things down a little bit.
2: They do like rolling dice. You know, that's one of the things so Vic Dorso that I learned from Vic is he has players make a lot of the rolls that the DMs would make, and I think he's smart to do that. I remember uh, your son said one time he's like three hours in the game he's like i haven't rolled a die and i learned a lesson from that you've gotta ha- you cannot go three hours into a game without your players rolling a die some they they don't like that so yeah. that was the last so
0: when when my players are in my castle Greyhawk game they roll the wandering monster dice mm. so they know the consequences of spending three turns searching this room for secret doors do you um, do you do that? Do you
2: look at the time? That's very laborious. Do you figure out the amount of time it takes to search by like
0: ten feet? Add that all up, and, and yeah, and, wow. it doesn't take long. Yeah. It doesn't. Uh, so oh then you, so then you just, uh you know, I have them roll, and then um I let them keep rolling. So if, if Dan, you rolled the wandering monster in my in my encounter because mm-hmm. you rolled the one on the whatever die it was that was needed. Um then i'd be like okay dan so now go ahead and roll a 20 cider for me and then i'll be like oh 13 okay uh go ahead and roll three die six and add three for me and that's how many goblins are showing up now and things like that so so you actually uh you know they they roll there's a little bit of a dice rolling interlude with wandering monsters
2: well that's good and then you can say you know it's their fault right yeah Ear seekers. I'm trying to figure out what kind of DM you are.
0: Uh, ear seekers. Uh, I don't use ear seekers very much. Okay. Uh, Bill Bill Sylvie really hates ear seekers. He thinks they're like a, uh, one of the worst things on the planet. Um, and uh, it's probably rubbed off on me a little.
2: Well, I think that. So Gary apparently was upset with people listening to doors too much, right? That's the story anyway. Yeah. I think.
0: All right. right, right. Yeah. yeah. What what happens? There's other ways to get around that, you know. The doors are mimic now and then, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't, that'll do it.
2: What, what happens to first edition ultimately? Does, so is, the, is OSR, just because we're people like us are around, do you see 20 years from now, is first, is first edition being played? That's kind of a depressing question, isn't wow, it?
1: thanks. That's...
2: <laughs> a, very, yeah. a very depressing rock doc episode. All right. I, I, think, I think
0: there'll probably still be an audience for first edition for a, a while, but I think every edition has an audience. I mean, people still play fourth edition. Mm-hmm. um and and there's a lot of people who still play third edition and you know all the rest too um but yeah i mean i think so i i'm not as uh, deeply plugged into all the places where uh, osr discussions happening i, I i'm i'm am I'm a lightweight discord user for example but um but i have been active on reddit uh for the last few years and there's a lot of people who are coming into AD&D to BX or some clone flavor thereof uh, out of fifth edition? Because um, they're looking for something a little simpler, a little easier, maybe, um, or they're looking for something that just gives a little bit of a different feel. And I think that feel is the important part. You know, AD&D feels second edition or third edition or. I haven't played 5th edition, so I can't really say how it feels. But,
1: yeah, uh, I mean 5th no. edition has – well, I, I, and this is always the chicken and the egg. If you ran 5th edition, would you run it like an, a 1st edition or would you run it as it's presented? Because you certainly can right. tailor it. There are optional rules in 5th edition because my, you know, my son plays – I have three sons. My two older sons didn't really play. But when we started – when they got old enough, started playing with them – And my youngest son, his friends play 5th edition, and he ran a game, and it was... He ran a 1st edition campaign, he also ran a 5th edition. And he likes the 1st edition feel, um, but, you know, some of the rules are just, you know, because he doesn't have the rose-colored glasses that we have, and it's like, these are stupid. And so I'm like, well, yeah, they're stupid, but they are stupid. So you just suck it up, Buttercup. And and he'll still play in that way. Right. Um, So I think for him... um, You know, I think there is that idea of everyone, everyone, you know, obviously there's some nostalgia because we started with that, but there's things about it that are, like you said, it's that OSR, that renaissance to it of death is not cheap, you're not a superhero, you're zero to hero, all those kind of things that um, people like, and we've had people Wanting to go back to that, it's, it's, there's this game, video game called Dark Souls that a lot of these mm-hmm. kids play and it's brutal. It's not, there's, you can't, yeah, yeah. S-
0: you can't, you you have to go. You, it's like playing aliens from what I understand. Right.
1: It, it, it's, it's, <laughs> and so there's that group of people who want that feel of the game, which is, it's not cheap. Everything's earned this type of, of thing. And I think, um, there, there will be always a, a niche that the question is, are they going to pull out, you know, the first edition monster manual
2: Yeah, because you need you need to introduce the younger generation. They had to have played this, right? If they're not not familiar with this, it's going to go away,
1: right? Right. And 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 I think there is going to be because even first edition. Because again, I was so myopic when I was a kid. Because you had whatever B Dalton's or Walden books had or the local hobby shop. That was the universe of things. And you know there was these weird things that they talked about in the DMG, like sword and sorcery and. D&D, what are these things? I, I, and so there's these clues, these Easter eggs that you don't know. And the same thing in 5th edition. Would, would we have armor class and hit points today or saving throws? I mean, there's still throwbacks to something that's 40 years that still hasn't gone away. But that, that's what D&D is. Well,
2: and my, my niece, who plays 5th edition, she didn't know the, na- the name Gygax. She didn't know. I was trying to like, be all cool. I'm like, look at my phone. And like, because I, I like Ernie's not, I mean, he, Ernie doesn't, if I called Ernie, he'd be like, who are you? Right. right. But just because he, he was a guest on the show, so I happened to have his contact sure. info. And of course, I have to like then add him. Right. Right? So I'm like trying to be all cool. I'm like, look at this. She's like, who's that? I'm like, "His last name Gygax. Who do you think it is? She's like, I have no idea. I'm like, do you know Gary Gygax? She know, didn't she'd know the name Gary Gygax. Yeah. So, which yeah. I was, I don't know, it was kind of disappointing to me, but you know, I'm an old dude. You're-
0: I think it's nice that, um, on some level, the game can still survive its creators. And that does give Mm -hmm. me hope that there will be an audience for, you know, people may not necessarily know the history of all the details, the way that, you know, maybe we do, but, um, but if the game's still around and it's still fun to play and, uh, it's bringing in new people, I mean, I think that's what matters.
1: Um, and, And that's, that's, Alan, I think is the point. When I was growing up, I didn't know there was O D and D. I didn't know. I thought it said mm. first edition. This, and I knew there was a basic, which was like the kitty one. That's the way we looked right. at it. Why play basic? I want to play advanced D and D. The only reason I wanted to play basic is
2: because Errol Otis had the uh, cover. Oh, yeah. one, not not Holmes, but right at the what, at the, the uh, one. The Moldave yeah. one. Yeah, I'm like, right. but that wasn't good enough.
1: And only later did I come back and realize, oh, there's this ho- whole history that we didn't know—war gaming and all this other stuff. So I think you know, it's just like any. hobby. Bronstein. Bron- <laughs> Bronstein. I mean by Bronstein. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The whole you know, and, and Dave Arneson's thing, and the whole Minneapolis versus the you know the uh, Lake Geneva, and and we learned that because we became study you know stu- students of the game. And I think now that there's more people playing fifth, they will be people when it becomes ninth edition, whenever that comes, forty years from now. There'll be people like, where did this all come from? So I think though, as long as the game is continuing, there'll be some version of it. So I agree with you, 100. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I and I think you know somebody made a comment. I don't remember now if it was on one of the one of the forums like Dragons, Fodder, Knights, and Knaves, Alehouse, or if it was like up on Reddit somewhere. But somebody was saying that you know every. Every generation kind of has to recreate what art means to them, you know, and, and if we have a, a game like this continuing multi-generationally, people are going to redefine it over time and it's going to mean something new and different to, to a, a newer, younger audience than it does to folks our age.
1: Right. And I, th- I think that's great, or else it will die, and, and or it, will, it won't be the same. So what's what's in store? What's what new products are you working on or designing? What 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 things are on the horizon for the rest of let's say
0: twenty twenty one? So um so we had published uh Tales of Peril, um which yeah. is a yeah. uh, a collection of uh er- John Eric Holmes's uh gaming fiction. So my first issues I bought of Dragon were 58 and 63 as a kid. And um, 58 had a story of his called In the Bag in it. Um, and then I eventually kind of tracked down some of his other stories. Uh, and I corresponded with him in when we lived in California for a little while. Um, but this collects together all of his stories uh, that were published in Dragon. As well as ones published in the first 20 issues of Alarms and Excursions, because he was a contributor during that timeframe. And uh, so, I'm in the process. So, this is out of print now. Basically, I found a box uh, that we took to North Texas, and we sold uh, all the rest of the the printing for it. uh, That that box left. Um, So, I'm going through and uh, correcting typos and stuff. So, we're going to do a reprint of that. Um, And then Chris Holmes has been talking with us about a couple different ideas. We haven't really settled on what the next project might be for this yet, but one would be to have a collection of fan submitted stories set in Holmes's campaign universe. Uh, uh, So they could be Boinger and Zareth stories or Mary the Mage stories or, you know, unrelated, but in the same world, perhaps. Um, so that's one possibility. And then the other one is we have, uh, 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 Chris and his brother, Tristan found, uh, Eric's, um, all of his, uh, manuscripts and stuff. So we've talked about maybe publishing all the manuscripts from his, um, from his, uh, campaign. And you can see some of the stories, uh, in the manuscripts in some cases, wow. um, so, so that's something we thought about doing too, and then maybe taking some of those and maybe turning them into a fully fleshed adventure or something like that too so But those are all kind of nebulous, not sure what we're doing you know exactly next uh projects um and then ostrich's uh having a little bit of a renaissance of its own, so um sales have definitely upticked over the last couple of years with the pandemic, so I think that's been good for gaming in many ways, and people reaching out and rediscovering um you know some of the roots yeah. of the hobby
1: global calamity always good some of our best ratings um
0: so uh so i think uh there's been a lot of work that's going on uh on the knights and knaves alehouse boards about the uh there's a big expansion for ostrich that's been in the works for a number of years called dangerous dungeons kind of modeled off of harlan ellison's old dangerous visions uh books um, and that is uh, sort of back on the table. Um, so that would be adding in a whole bunch of new monsters, character classes. Uh, think of it as a um, uh, sort of a, an Unearthed Arcana oh. expansion done right. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, okay, since yeah. you brought yeah. it up,
2: yeah. Unearthed Arcana,
0: what's your opinion? See, I grew up. Uh, so with Mrs. Magers, you know, gifted projects. One of the things I did as a kid is I learned how to do footnotes and stuff from, by uh, citing magic user spells from Dragon Magazine. <laughs> so I, 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 I did, uh, you know, bless her heart, she left. I, I, I turned in two D and D modules as a, a gifted writing assignments right. in school what a teacher <laughs> wow. where were
2: these teachers yeah. though actually that's not true we did i remember this we did as a project the villain volume which was monsters for english and i misspelled villain i can't remember i still don't know how to spell it i did an ai instead of an ia or vice versa so
0: but that's a great teacher so okay so yeah, yeah so it was great so so i grew up with his a lot of the stuff that was in unearthed arcana from dragon magazine. Cause I, once I got those issues, I, I subscribed and became a dedicated reader. And then I tried to chase back issues back for where the Greyhawk lore was. Um,
2: well, that's that, that accounts for say the spells,
0: but yeah. there's some other yeah.
2: items, which I know are in dragon, yeah. which are, I think yeah. everyone is kind of okay with the spells and some of the other things.
0: Some of them,
1: some of them. Are yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I like, you know, the, the character classes were, you know, published in dragon also but i prefer and the version of the barbarian that i use is the one from dragon not the one in an arcana um so i i take the I, I i really don't like the um tone that it sets to have barbarians out there trying to destroy magic items and stuff it kind of makes them kind of lame um in my opinion Le- So level lim- what about level limits uh yeah i don't think level limits are fine um, <laughs> My, uh, my fact, my, uh, my character and my first character I ran in Bill's game was an elf fighter magic user. Um, he, uh, and he was sort of an archer fighter. Um, but he, uh, he capped out as a level five fighter because he only had like a, I don't know, 14 or 15 strength, whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Um, and, uh, by the time he was a seventh level magic user, got really sick of, dividing my experience points in half and getting nothing for the other half of them. <laughs> so he he retired with his girlfriend and they ran off to Celine. So okay. <laughs> that's when I started the Paladin. But yeah, I think level limits are good. I think it's one of the things that makes um, human characters so interesting uh, when you balance that out across sort of the the lifespan of demi-humans in, in a campaign game. You know, if you're playing a convention game, it doesn't matter. So right. kind of do whatever you want, but...
1: And 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 so you're going to do, um, kind of like you said, the, the book that shall not be named. That's what we call it here. Uh, again, for us, D&D ended in 1985 because we stopped playing. Sure. And, and May of 85 is kind of the, you know, that's when it came out.
2: I just felt it was kind of jumping the shark. I mean, I remember when UA came out, I just, I had a bad, it's like you said you had a bad feeling about Tui. I mean, I had that feeling with Unearthed Arcana. I'm like,
1: something's changed here. This is... I don't know. So how do you prevent that if you do a, a UA for us how do you prevent that from going down that route? Or do you want to prevent that from going down that route?
0: Well, I think it depends on what kind of game you want to run. You know, you can I think you can run lots of different types of games under one E and it, they don't even have to be necessarily uh consistent. You can experiment with, you know, we want to go full full on, you know, one point five Hardcore, you know, for this campaign. And, you know, uh maybe you use lots of non-weapon proficiencies and, you know, stuff like that with it too. Um, or whatever. Um But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you is still a good earmarker as a turning point for for things starting to get wonky um with the rules and things. And I think it because it was so rushed, part of probably what stands out is that a lot of it was um you know, not playtested. Um, and that's, that's so important to get a good quality design work done. Um, unless, you know unless they, you're, unless you're Janelle Jacobs.
1: That's
0: right. she a, never, as you she, probably know
2: that she, she never play tested caverns yeah. or, or which is pretty amazing, you know? So, but few can do that, of course. I agree. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, all right, James. So, any, any questions? Yeah. So, right so like, D- dangerous dungeons is something that's kind of in the works, um, and will you know, be coming together eventually. Um, I don't know if I have my copy right handy now. Uh, Trent Trent Smith did something very similar with his recent heroic legendarium. Uh, okay. and my copy is not sitting right at hand. Um, and
1: Alan, if you don't mind, if you send links to all these, we'll put them in the show notes. So,
0: if you can. Send, oh, sure. Yeah, I can send them. That'd be great. Um, but but Trent did something very similar with his project. And we, we debuted that at North Texas, um, along with several other like new OSR publishers works and stuff like that at our booth. Um, but, uh, he took, uh, some of what Gary had outlined in dragon magazine as what Gary was going to do with the rest of the classes for two E, a D and D if he'd have continued at the helm of TSR, um, so, things like the mountebank, the jester, the savant, the mystic. Uh, Trent also took the bard and turned them into a single, single classed class class, uh, and similar to what was done in Dragon 56. Um, and, uh, and then uh, he took the spells for the bard and he made them into songs. Mm-hmm. So, they're all spell songs. And he took quite a bit of uh, inspiration from some of Gary's later work in Dangerous Journeys and kind of backporting some of that back to AD&D too. Um, so, uh, so I think Dangerous uh, Dungeons would include um, some elements like that, uh, along with a lot of other stuff from the, from the folks who brought Monsters and Myth together plus the rest of the Oscar design team.
2: What is your, what is your most prized... Uh, gaming possession because I know you're a, you're a collector, right? I mean, what is is there one that stands out amongst all the others? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I have a number of original manuscripts from from Rob and from I have some from Gary, I guess, but I think they're mostly from Rob. Uh, so I've got I've got. Six of Rob's Castle Greyhawk levels mm-hmm. maps mm-hmm. Um, that are the that are the maps that were uh, they're they're photocopies made by him and Dave Sutherland from the original binder that then Rob did some like coloring and annotation and things on them in places. So and you, I have those,
2: and you so, run a game, yeah. right? You've continued to right, you've designed levels for that, right? You run a game and kind oh, yeah. of show. For yeah, a yeah, yeah.
0: So I've 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 been running my version of Castle Greyhawk at gary con and north texas and you know gatherings for friends and when i would make do business trips out to california and and back home to south jersey and stuff over the years so uh yeah i, I i've probably written uh, or well i've designed i don't know if they're not written but um i've just de- uh i don't know 50 60 levels something wow. like that i don't know and 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 so that's, 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 that's a lot of work. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's, it's over, you know, yeah. a long time. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, some of these maps are from the, you know, early eighties and things.
2: <laughs> and what would you say is out of character, what would you say is the greatest adventure ever written? What would be number one? I know you're, you're a list guy, right? <sighs> You've got a lot of lists. Uh,
0: yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I think my my tastes kind of change and evolve a little bit over time. But I think the the my favorite adventure for a long time has been sort of, you know, G3, really, Hall of the Fire Giant King. It's just such a great, awesome adventure. And it, you know, it, it it has a lot of those cool hallmarks that I love in Gary and Rob's work. You know, you can uh you you can build and expand from it into more. In, in that site if you want to and then it hints at building out more stuff obviously that became the D-series modules and stuff you know it introduces new cool monsters um things like that but uh that's sort of been my go-to favorite adventure for D&D for a long time I think my favorite adventure in general is probably still Massive Nair Lathotep for Cthulhu Hopefully. um yeah. so that uh, Larry DeTilio's campaign is phenomenally brilliant um so um but uh but i think over time i've gone you know there, there's other ones that are really i mean the village of homlet still is great um rob's wg5 mark castle adventure uh morden Canaan's fantastic adventure that then expanded through the 3e era as mark castle and dungeon those were really great designs uh as well um definitely that's probably still my favorite of Rob's adventures. Although you know, Bottle City's pretties aren't good too. But, um, and uh, and then I've been uh, doing a lot of work around Drow stuff lately. So D three is is D three might be my you know if I had to pick one today, that might be my favorite one today uh, as an adventure. You know, there's just so much more you can do with it, and it it kind of becomes its own campaign setting as much as it is an adventure um, just in the vault, ignoring all the rest of the droic underworld.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think for me, and again, it's like I said, context, when, when you got exposed to it, what you're dealing with. Uh, for me, it's still A3 um, all because of the city. It was the yeah. first time that there was enough detail and you had this idea of a slave. How would a slaver city work? And that your adventures and and it just was evocative, Um, that and and it seemed viable, like it was in this mountain, you know. So he had a little James Bond kind of weird thing. Yeah, yeah. uh, I have a lot
0: of love for the A series. A one was the first module I bought with my own money as a kid. So. (laughs) a3 is the first module i didn't steal no i'm just kidding
1: that's what what i was thinking i'm like i'm not gonna go there so 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 alan we have a tradition thank you again for coming on this has been a great time really i know we went a little bit over thank you for your time it's been awesome oh
0: sure it's been fun
1: conversation um so we have a tradition the guest uh rolls a d10 one being we wasted their time um the they'll uh a 10 is awesome, best interview ever. So, if you have a D10, if you want to roll it for us, we would uh, we'll rate the show, you All right. just like in his spirit, like he does with his players. The fate is in We're his in your hand. And what exactly. I also love about our viewers
2: is they almost always have,
0: have a, d- a die nearby, right?
2: It's never like, Where's that die? They just turn around, and
0: boom, the it's guy. they
2: just start like traveling with dice, yes, yeah. So, yeah,
0: so with, with the pandemic, I uh, I had to because I I don't have a lot of room on my desk with the phone and the computer and all the scanner and stuff on there. But I so I ended up getting a dice tray. Oh and I wow. had somebody build a dice tray for me. A, a friend of one of my cousin in laws. Uh so this is the top side of it. And this is Greyhawk. Um, and is it so,
2: how was the location selected? Did you select the location? Oh, I selected
0: I, the location and gave her guidance on how to you know, kind of draw it. So I, I sent her pictures of the Darlene map and stuff. So this is the uh, mid bay of Nerdive. Here's yep. Greyhawk. Uh, here's the, uh, the swamp right nearby, the Cairn Hills, the Aberrals, all that. So,
2: so, can I just ask you a question? If you and Carlos Leising, like come upon each other at a convention, do you guys, I'm just imagining the conversation, do you guys just start launching into a Greyhawk conversation? Like what the, James and I would have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Uh we we have certainly done that. Uh, so I, I met Carlos for the first time at GaryCon probably, I don't know, four six years ago, something like that. So and it was kind of that straight up kind of fun Greyhawk conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but he's been he's been really active on Greyhawk fandom for quite some time. He's uh he's uh been on cannon fire for years and stuff. So we knew each other from online already.
2: Got it. Yeah. Got
0: Similar it. to like, you know, you and I knowing each other from the Aseo. Right, right. So, what did you roll? So, I rolled a nine. Can you see it here? Let's see. Nine. Nine. Yeah, absolutely. Nine. I love it. And this is is my die. This die and another die are my two dice that are the only thing useful that came out of the Cyborg Commando game.
2: Oh. And I love how you showed us that. I do this too, though. But I love how you showed it. Like, you couldn't just switch it around. You know what I mean? Like, right. when you hold it up, you can just switch it around. But no, I do that too. So
1: Well, um, I know you do, but I, I, I have integrity with Alan. You and you divine Alan. intervention roles, I always feel like you've rolled t- a 10 or less more than statistically feasible. Are you mean to me? Yes,
2: yes, but, but. yeah, I
0: I do it in love. That's what I do it You're in love. <laughs> well, does Dan cheat on his divine uh, education yeah. roles? Oh, it's a yes. Yes, <laughs> I do not. This
1: is horrible. Thanks. Wow. Well, with that, see, this is finally a guest who supports me. Last time, Janelle was all about Tom Bombadil. What do you? Uh, what's your? Uh, what do you think of Tom Bombadil?
0: Uh, I have more appreciation for him now than I did as a kid.
2: Well, James hasn't grown up yet, so that okay.
0: got that right. I, 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 I skipped him a lot as a kid, but I think <laughs> he's, mature, I, he's mature. <laughs> what I what I what I wish they had done, and, and you know, Bombadil, you could still kind of handwave out. But I st- what I missed the most about the Bombadil e- part of the episode is if you if you take out Bombadil, you lose the Barrow Downs, and and that's a big bummer in my mind.
2: Yes, you you absolutely lose the Baron. and you lose the
0: old forest and you lose Crick Hollow and all the rest. So,
2: yes, yes, yeah. and they didn't and the whole race across the Ford and all that too. Right before that, that was out of the
1: movie.
2: That's all Shh. that area.
1: Gandalf goes, gets Frodo gets the ring. They fight them at Mountain. They go to Rivendell. That that saved five hundred pages, and we could get to Moria. It's all a, about getting to Moria. He was That's a ring the, bearer. You know, he was a ring bearer. He held the ring. Right, he, he did. He put
2: it, it, went on his finger. Yes, he I know. Was a ring
1: bearer. Okay, was all a right. Ring bear. I know you love throwing that out there for the nerds who know that. Well, Alan, uh, thank you again for your time today. Um, oh yeah, this is fun. You on uh, social media that people can find you up that uh, you can if they have questions or want to commiserate with
0: you? Yeah, I'm on. I'm on facebook and i'm ter- i'm not really a good twitter or discord user but i'm there um and then you can find me on the old boards and all that stuff too and i think in black blade has a facebook page i believe right we have a facebook page our website is sporadically up um so uh the facebook page is definitely the better way to get in touch with us for that and then i've got my blog and whatnot so yeah, oh, yeah. i can I can. Oh, I was going to send you guys some links. I don't remember what the link was. Yeah. Are. So just for people who are uh, listening, for Trent and things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just yeah. So so you know we always people listen to these shows way out later. We get comments a year after, and they're like, where do we where can we find this? And it's always we always like putting in the show notes so people can get access to that. So we really appreciate yeah. that. So for yeah, happy so, so for grog talk, I'm James, and I'm Dan, and Alan. Thank you again.
0: Thanks, guys. It's Uh, been a pleasure.
1: It has been a pleasure. Thank you. And and we'll see you next time on Grog Talk. Take care. This has been a Bushy puppy Production. All rights reserved.